Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? I think they will get one of those Champions League places which will be an absolutely phenomenal achievement for Eddie Howe and his players. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. A very good morning to you. Welcome along. It is Wednesday morning at half past seven. This is OTBAM. Uh, Shane's here. Good morning. How are things? Kathleen's here. Good morning, guys. You're a little bit bleary-eyed, Kathleen. A little bit bleary-eyed. Yeah, I. Uh, I had such good intentions last night. I was like, no, I'm going to watch the Champions League. I'm going to go to bed, get an early sleep, and then I'm going to get up early this morning and watch the game back because obviously we are in very early and a half twelve kickoff is not exactly produced to or conducive to good sleep um, but then it was just the match the city match finished and I was kind of like oh stayed, team news you stayed up and watched it live I watched the first half live yeah right okay I was like well, the team news was coming out and I was kind of curious as to what Vera Pau was going to do and then the team news came out and I was still kind of awake and I was like what if what if we do the amazing like what if something incredible happens and I'm asleep and I will be so annoyed at myself when I wake up tomorrow morning and okay, well. watch it back so yeah I watched the first half and then I went Tried to go to sleep, couldn't really sleep, so I should. I was saying ashamed. I should have literally just stayed up and watched the game, and then I came in here at five o'clock this morning and watched the whole thing back again because um, I just love the pain. <laughs> so Ireland got beaten by a goal to nil by the USA last night. Yeah, they did. Um, I mean, kind of a mixed performance. Definitely some positives to take away from the entire trip, uh, but the goal that we let in was frustratingly similar to some of the goals that we thought we had kind of cut out of our game um, it's just a long range punt from 40 yards yeah and like obviously uh, Courtney Brosnan thought that it was going to come in like she thought she was going to be able to punch it away but misjudged how far it was going to come in and it just sailed over her head unfortunate because it's the second time out of the three goals that have been scored over these two games that she's kind of been caught out for bad positioning um, which actually when I said it on Twitter at the weekend about the first goal that went in I got a lot of very angry Courtney Brosnan fa- fans after me <laughs> saying it was actually the defence's fault and I was like there was two two at play there it was the defence it was also Courtney Brosnan being far too far in one side of her goal we always do that we always shoot ourselves in the foot we don't seem to concede like proper great team goals where we couldn't have done much about it it always seems to be Possibly and partially our fault. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit. I mean, I really wouldn't have mind if we had lost 1-0 to the US and they had scored some sort of screamer. You know, Trini Rodman had done something incredible. I, Becky, I actually wouldn't even have been all that mad if it was Becky Sauerbrunn that got it off the header in the first like three minutes that she tried. Uh, the only reason I would have been mad about that is because Adonofsky literally told us they were going to try and do that. They only played her for 30 minutes because it was her hometown game and they wanted to celebrate her getting 200 caps. So they gave her 30 minutes, tried this one set piece that they said they were going to try off a corner to try and get her a header to get her first ever goal in her 15 year career with the US and we just gave her a free header and I was like I know we're trying to you know support our own here and everything but also <laughs> let's not give away goals that easily um, but yeah some it was definitely a more tired performance than the one on Saturday you know I felt on Saturday we were pushing for those goals for a lot longer whereas we came out in the second half and we looked wrecked 
the closest we looked like getting a goal in the second half was when we made some changes in the last 10 minutes and stuck Louise Quinn up top and just like hammered in corners and crosses which is very much going back to our old playbook of how we did things in the past um but yeah it was we didn't make wholesale changes this was no. like so Katie McKay played Denise Sullivan played yeah like I think a lot of people thought that Fear Powell might have changed it up a bit more even though she did say during the weekend that she her main thing for this game was to try and give players time and also to see how like different systems gelled so like continuing on from what we tried on Saturday um, big ones probably would have been the fact that Aoife Mannion and Sinead Farrelly weren't in the squad at all but like Veer Powell had said before the match that she is managing their game time at the moment Aoife Mannion makes a little bit more sense because United are doing that anyways because she's coming back from an ACL Farrelly I mean like Emma Carroll was making the point there just before we came on air that this those 60 minutes that she played at the weekend is the only 60 minutes we've seen of her in an Ireland jersey and while yes she did very very well and I think like a lot of people were excited by her she there's not another camp until like the end of June now the squad's coming out around that time too would you not have chucked her on for even like 20 minutes just to see how she performs in the squad or like you know it was that just a once-off? Because Vera Powell basically said after the game on Saturday that she's she's on the plane. So either she's say, seeing something that the rest of us haven't seen, which is fair enough. I mean, that that's her job to see those things. But I think, yeah, I just would have been interested to see how she gelled in with the squad a bit more. I suppose one of the po- main positives, Kathleen, is the fact that we weren't overawed in either game. And, and that's probably testament to the fact that Vera Powell has lined up all these big game friendlies. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think we... I think chaotic sometimes in that we would forget who we're playing and the US would make a break and we would, you could just see the panic a little bit on our faces. But I also think when you look at like the history of results that we have against the US, a 2-0 and a 1-0 defeat is very respectable. Mm. Um, Now, they did... The US are kind of at a stage at the moment where they're messing around with their team quite a lot and trying to work things out. And like a lot of the US fans are really annoyed with how Andonovsky has led this team over the last couple of years because he hasn't really nurtured those younger talents in the way that they would like him to. You know, the Trinity Robbins saw Alyssa Thompson, the number one NWSL draft pick. She made a start last night and played quite well. Their midfield is a bit of a shambles. Um, so we definitely weren't hitting on them at their peak, mm. I would say. But at the same time, I think there's a lot. We gained a lot of insight into the squad and the ways that we can play. And I think, I mean, I think one of you guys said it on air the other day that Vera Powell has obviously been listening to a bit of Koi Gig over the last couple of months, uh, or at least not admitting that she's listening to a bit of Koi Gig over the last couple of months because the sort of positive play that we saw over the last two games is the exact sort of stuff that we've been calling for and I think if we can build off that in the final couple of games ahead of the World Cup it could be interesting except that uh, the other big thing that happened in world football last night was that uh, England got beaten by Australia yeah so Australia ended England's 30 game uh, unbeaten streak which is no no mean feat one thing I will say about this as 
like you can't take away from Australia like fair credit to them they did beat them but also the two goals I would argue were more that England's defence was a shambles than Australia necessarily pulled something amazing so like the first goal was Leah Williamson I don't know did she just not see Sam Kerr coming on her outside she headed the ball down to Mary Earps and just like didn't get enough power on it basically put it on a plate for Sam Kerr which you don't do and then the second one was it deflected off it was a cross into the box deflected off Leah Williamson and I think it was Lucy Bronze again for some reason did not see Charlie Grant running in behind her and it was a completely free header so possibly missing a little Millie Bright influence in the defence for England there. but That's the first time that um, England have conceded two under Vigman? Yeah. I mean, like, again, you can't take anything away from Australia. I'm possibly pulling at straws here a little bit to comfort myself because, again, with this Australia team, they've actually been on a really similar journey to ourselves with that they have, you know, their world-class players, their Caitlin Fords, their Sam Kerrs, but they also have players that play semi-pro back home and over the last couple of years Tony Gustafsson has been really working with this team to kind of get them into a cohesive unit and like bringing together that world-class element with that semi-professional element and he they've had a a bit like ourselves in the European qualifiers they had a lot of games where they should have performed and they just didn't and it seems now they're hitting their stride exactly as they're going into a home world cup and you know I talked to I know a few Australian journalists that I met during the Euros last summer and I was talking to them about the games last night and you know they're quietly confident about how this team is performing at the moment and where they're heading so as in they they think they have a chance of winning the entire thing I don't know if they're going straight to like we have a chance of winning the entire thing, but they definitely feel like they can go on a run in the tournament. Yeah. Um, in a way that we're like, we might maybe if everything breaks our way, potentially get out of the group or get some draws. And they're yeah. like, no, we, we could win it. I mean, the other side to this is that like they did draw 1-0 with Scotland. Or sorry, they lost 1-0 to Scotland in their other game in this international window. But they did have a few injuries and also they didn't play Sam Kerr in that match. So, you know. She'll be playing against us, no doubt, in the World Cup. Oh, I'm sure. Your description of the goals that they scored sounded perilously like your description of the goals we conceded. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, that was a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Dan Delaney says in the comments, I get the feeling that we are in big, big trouble against Australia in that first game. That's, uh, That's my, look, I mean, this is it now and then we slowly build up and then on the verge of the tournament we get we lose the run of ourselves yeah. that's the traditional well I don't know if I would say if we're in big big trouble because like in the same way we have struggled mentally sometimes so have this Australian team so like there is a possibility that either side come into this game and it's 80,000 people it's a home world cup for them it's our first ever major tournament you know there's a lot of different elements at play yeah. and I think it's just how well both managers manage that run in over the next couple of months Australian sports culture is to step into the moment and enjoy it to Cathy Freeman their way around mm. to like you know being Olympic champion in front of your home crowd to to being a rugby team who are nowhere near good enough to oh we were suddenly in the final that's how yeah. good we were I don't know I'm just concerned that uh, Australia their their rugby culture their sports culture Sorry, their sports culture, not their rugby culture. Their sports culture is um, 
has been long uh, high it's achievers. Defi- yeah, it's definitely arrogant. more defined than ours. I will put it. And Nigeria beaten. So we played Nigeria in our last group game. They beat the other co-host New Zealand three 0 last night. So it's all looking great for that group. Canada lost two one to France though. Uh, Hervé Renard has taken over there has had a very successful first international window really interesting guy like I don't know what I expected from him when he took over at France Um, and you know he a lot of the time when you see these managers come in from the men's game you're a bit like have you ever even watched a game of women's football Uh, because they are different like there's I don't think anyone can disagree about that. And uh, he, he's been really impressive, especially for that French team that were so chaotic before under Diacre. Like, he talked about one of the players, uh, she had a baby and she was coming into camp. And, like, as you guys know, this is something that we've talked a lot about on Quay Gig before. And he was like, well, why, why wouldn't she bring her baby with her? She's going to be distracted if the baby isn't there. So, like, we have to do everything that we can to make sure that she is supported and that the child is supported in the camp and that they have that space for themselves because that's equally as important as anything on the pitch. And then last night he was... Like, I don't understand why we're playing the Olympic champions on the same night as Champions League football. He was like, this is world-class football happening, but how else is it? It's it's not going to be watched by as many people because you're competing with other world-class football. And I was like, oh, every Reinhardt I am actually very impressed mm. with. It's a fair point though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, Well, all, all sports have this nonsensical idea that uh, we're going to be the ones who everybody watches and it's going to be us it's our way or the highway and it's like no you just have to say, just schedule it for like 5 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock or the day before or the day after like yeah no, mean, there are so many I was thinking the same about Bowls and Rovers at the weekend it's on telly but at the same time the rugby's on and it's like these are these are dueling banjos we could have like you know 1 at 5 1 at 7 everybody's happy yeah, I feel like people in the League of Ireland assume that oh, there's no crossover. Sure, the, the people watching the rugby won't be watching Rovers Bows, but of course there's crossover. There always is. There's people who just love sport and they'll watch whatever's on. So, a uh, quick question from Danny Mac: Would three draws get us out of the group? Probably won't. No, I don't. Uh, it, no. I mean, traditionally in fourteen groups, three draws has been enough, but you need all the results to go your way. And uh, like, on, it's like teams uh, are going to take points off each other. Yeah, like on a on a numerical, I'm sure there is some sort of like numerical way that it probably would but it would require a lot of other stuff to go our way and I just don't really expect that to happen you need one team to dominate the group yeah and then um, and then so everyone else to, to flounder <coughs> a little bit uh, and then the other game has to be a draw and then you end up mm. with uh, Grant just beat the Aussies in the first game it's easy this is easy folks yeah. well we've already it. done it in Tala so you know what's the difference in an 80,000 seater stadium in Sydney <laughs> that was that was the birth of the Vera Power era really in a, oh. in, in a way where I mean it would be like, a <clears throat> it's going to be an incredible full circle moment anyways but it actually would be a mad for full circle moment if we did manage to win I mean look I'm not getting ahead of myself there's still a few months to go mm. we, well it's 99 days today until there you the World go. Cup uh, uh, yeah <laughs> 99. I'll be coming in every day and I'll just pop up in this corner. I'll just like 98 days. <laughs> hey guys, 84. <laughs> a poster up on the brick wall behind you there, yeah. Yeah. The wall's fake. It's uh, 7.44. Nothing would stick to it. It's 7.44 this morning here on OTBM. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. The wall's not fake, by the way. It's not green. Uh, Maeve de Burke is going to join us for her analysis of the game at 8. Jonathan Wilson is going to join us at 20 past 8 to look at the Champions League last night and how Frank Lampard's going to get on tonight. Uh, sports News at 8.45. Keith Wood at 8.50. Power rankings with Tommy Rooney at 9.10. Finally correct. And a classic crappy quiz coming your way at uh, 9.30. We've got to talk about the performance of Manchester City last night. Absolutely dominant against uh, Bayern Munich. Pep afterwards, not quite 
comfortable, mm. like a little bit smug, as you would expect. Oh, very smug, yeah. But I still like listing off all of the great players. That was he was he listing off the great players so that his players were watching, going, "Oh, they could still do something to us." Or was he listing off all the great players? That, Look at what I just did! I swatted them down. I beat them. In fairness, he did say that uh, Bayern were better at various stages, and that uh, they made some changes, obviously, which helped mm. influence the outcome. Which obviously reflects very well on him. Yeah, but then you look at Jan Sommer's performance. Like, if it, only for a couple of saves he made, said he would have won by more. And it was just a completely dominant performance. That Rodri goal—that was his first Champions League goal ever—and it's just an absolute corker. What a strike off the left! It was just one of those. That Is he left-footed? I don't even know, but it was it was very De Bruyne-esque. Uh, I don't think he's predominantly left-footed. It didn't look like he, he was, was given a lot of space as well. Yeah, it, it, like he was. It was. It was given to him. Musiala, I think, was about, was the one who was supposed to be tracking yeah. him. Like didn't. he did do well to take it away in the first place, but you like he just ran into open space. He actually could have brought it in further if he wanted, but he decided to go for the spectacular. Hundred <laughs> percent. There should be a bit of um, appreciation given. Him. My housemate pointed this out last night for for English stadiums in the in the Champions League and the knee slide opportunities it provides and there's a little bit of rain Rodri mentioned it afterwards he said well that's one of the things when I was in Spain I couldn't knee slide and now when a player scores you have the lovely 15-20 metre knee slide which he, which he did all three of them did it last night all three of them and, yeah. and fair play to them um, the busiest man was probably the, the fourth official the technical uh, area that Pep is supposed to stay in and Tuchel is supposed to stay in turns out neither of them wanted to stay in those areas so uh, constant little slaps on the wrist for the lads who wanted to, to broach that space uh, but City's performance generally I mean Right from the back, Nathan Ake was brilliant. Uh, Rodri was probably most people's man of the match, I think, last night. Grealish was um, uh, uh, literally involved in every good thing that City did. Uh, uh, Rio Ferdinand made a very good point on, on, on TV after the match as well, how um, that goal for Bernardo Silva, that header, where literally Grealish just makes the run to cancel out any possible option that Meccano had at the back in terms of playing it out, and then manages to dispossess, play it off to Haaland, and then... Uh, the ball ends up at the back of the net from Bernardo Silva's header. That's so the back heel from Grealish. That's the back heel. It's brilliant. Not, yeah, Grealish is uh, he good at football? Turns out, Open Meccano had had one of those nights um, where he, he literally forgot how to play football. Like every time he touched the ball, you're like, this lad is about to do something ridiculous. He just couldn't. He couldn't even complete like a 10, 15 yard pass at some stages last night. His head was gone. Um, it was actually getting to the point where I kind of wanted him to get the ball just because I was curious yeah. as to how badly he was going to mess it up. Like, he couldn't have done it in the Aviva, you know. But he's he, like, and he's one of the best centre backs in the world. And yet last night, City made them look completely normal at times. Um, Bayern did have their chances. Yeah, they probably looked a little livelier when Cancelo and, and Muller came off the bench. I, I thought Mane as well, but like no massive clear cut chances where you'd say, "Oh, that that could have been a goal." Um, and and. Even the, the the reception that Joel Cancelo got coming off the bench for Bayern, I was like, this man won two Premier Leagues and a League Cup with Man City, and he's getting roundly booed by the Etihad Stadium. So, I mean, football fans are fickle, and they forget pretty fast, it turns out. Who were they booing, sorry? Cancelo, when he came off the bench. All right. Well, I, mean, I, I know he left in he's, circumstances. He's coming back, though. Yeah, this is He's coming back. Well, I, I mean, obviously, Pep is going to... He Well, will he want to come back after a reception? Like, I mean, is, is there a possibility... Pep wins the Champions League and goes? Probably not. He, mm. You know, he'd probably he'd, he'd want to defend it. Is there a chance he loses in the final and goes? There is. I think if he loses, it's more likely that he leaves. He's too stubborn. He'd be like, no, we'll go again. We got close. He signed, was it this year he signed a new contract? Or was that? In, it was at the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, I mean, that doesn't really mean that much. Yeah. No, no, I know it doesn't, but... yeah. I know you mentioned the pre... Um, Show meeting, Kathleen, about Haaland's lack of touches compared to everyone else in the pitch. Mm-hmm. But that—that's 
it's funny it's what he does and you always felt like he was going to get the goal like Stone John Stones did really really well to head that ball back across the area and Haaland's finish was exactly what you would expect but um, it was a really good game I thought like in, in large portions mainly because of City's dominance I suppose and I just me find out City so hard to watch like I don't find them an enjoyable watch was it like Limerick hurling that conversation from yesterday they're too good to watch a little bit but it's not even that they're too good I just it's boring to me now. maybe it is because they're too good I just find it a little bit boring I actually disagree with the Limerick thing slightly I really like watching Limerick play hurling I think you know the skill is incredible and maybe that's just an appreciation I have for hurling over football but mm. I don't know it's just the only time I actually enjoy watching City is in the Champions League because I'm like there's actually a vague hope that something mad is going to happen and Pep's not going to get his Champions League title but I don't know, it just seemed kind of clear early on enough last night that Bayern weren't up to the challenge and that... I don't think this tie's entirely over. In what sense? I mean, it's, there's a second leg still to come. I would have thought a 2-0 oh, was saying sorry, that. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I think that they were creating enough chances, enough opportunities, and there's enough flakiness still in the city side. Like, uh, we, were, we had Mark Lawrence on last night, yesterday, and uh, like, what do you want from... City, if you're Arsenal, do you want them to keep winning? And so you've got these games. You don't want them to keep winning 3-0 because the level of confidence that they get and the sense that they are all-conquering and they're now the blue machine. But I just feel like there was a few chances there. Well, it jo- was like Ederson was making some saves. Now, yeah. okay, some of them were long-range stuffs, but there was one that was spilled out and they just needed... I think that, like... I can see Bayern getting an early goal at the Allianz and suddenly City are oh. like... Oh, two, we've seen this movie before. Three 0 feels different to two 0 in some way. Like, and it does because there's an extra goal there. There's an extra goal. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Game of two halves. Um, I think. I do think the, the, the key moment, of, the key moment of the match for me, the key turning point was just before City opened the scoring. Uh, Musiala had that shot blocked by Ruben Diaz, and if you look at the replay in slow motion, it's going in. It looks uh, like Edison, it does yeah, look like it's going the wrong way. Now, I haven't said that. Yeah. The superstar, I, I, it was, and I, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, I think there's enough about the city and the sense of jeopardy in, in all the games that they're going to have for the rest like, of the season. And we have seen it with them in the Premier League. Like they have slipped up a lot more this season than we've seen them do it in previous seasons. I don't know. I just feel like, kind of like what Shane was saying, three nil does feel a little bit far with how Bayern looked mm. last night. Um, it just didn't feel like there was any. I don't know. Well, the papers have agreed with you. Bye bye, Byron is the headline in the back of the mirror. Hair raising is the uh, back to usual hairstyle, but Holland's still a cut above a city rip. Byron to shreds. He's, uh, it, uh, it was a lot made of Erling Holland's hair. Uh, Blue Thunder. Holland puts seal on City's show of no mercy. There are the headlines in some of the English ones. Blue Murder. Mm. Uh, Manchester City 3, Bayern Munich 0. Okay, sorry, sorry, we didn't actually give the score. We did give the score. Uh, they think it's Hall over. Oh, I see what they did there. Erling Killer Blow Fires City to Brink of Semis uh, is the back of the sun. There's also a picture of Frank Lampard with the Champions League trophy. Right, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes' time. And then Lightning Rod Sparks City Route is the back page of the uh, London Independent um, for that one. Uh, the other big news coming through, uh, up, up and away, question mark. They see the examiner, they're, they're feeling, I think it's just, it's just it's all over. With, with, with City until they're standing over the bloodied corpse of the trophy and Pep actually has it he has the big cup and he's got the big ears and he's mm. holding them I'm not going to believe it I'm, I am the doubting Thomas when it comes to Pep and his ability to win this trophy I know you guys are crowning him already obviously oh no I, I'm not saying I'm crowning him overall I just think in this particular tie City have their number past that anything goes I think Real Madrid are going to win the Champions League 
Uh, well, they're not, because uh, Chelsea are going to beat them tonight, according to Frank Lampard, who's oh, been telling everybody that we've done this before in 2012. Because, <laughs> uh, as far as I can see, the one thing that athletes want is, back in my day, oh, yeah. they, they love those stories more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. That's my, my experience of talking to and listening to changing rooms who have like um, high-profile managers who you know were superstars in their time. And it's all well, back in my day. That's how we did it. Yeah, he used to walk the train in his, in his bare feet, Lampard. A bit of call for the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, none of your fancy meals. Back in my day, um, he's supposed to be doing the match last night. He's supposed to be doing comms on it. Was he? Yeah. And then he got a gig. And then he got a gig. Turns out he was busy. Yeah. No fair play. I'm looking forward to that game tonight, but um, I just can't see Chelsea getting over that Real Madrid team. Real, like realistically, let's be honest. I mean, I really hope for the for the sake of the tournament they don't. Like Chelsea yeah. can feck off with their boring football. No thanks. <laughs> with their chaotic nonsense. Well, the league's over, so maybe they do tactically inept. Yeah, Inter Milan have won foot in the semi-finals after last night as well, beating Benfica two 0 away. So Romelu Lukaku with the penalties for the second goal. So um, it's going to be an interesting lineup either way. I think in the in the semi-finals this year, the Champions League. But um, yeah, it's Real Madrid's to lose for me. Twenty nine. I still think Napoli are the most complete team in the tournament. I really hope Napoli win it. Like that would be the yeah. That's the story. That's the the dream scenario here at the end I don't think anyone would disagree well unless you're a supporter of one of the teams that are left but I feel mm. like every neutral going is fully Which on the Napoli bandwagon semi-final yeah. draw has been made right it has um, I'm forgetting this uh, well, I, th- I think everyone has fallen in love with Victor Osman and <clears throat> Kvara Scalia this year with, with Napoli and, and like the fact that they have the unlike City they have Serie A pretty much in the bag so they they can concentrate on the on the Champions League as well, which is a a massive advantage. I mean, I, I had I was living with an Arsenal fan like yourself, uh, Kathleen last night, and I was like, before the game, what do you want to happen here? And I think uh, further to Jerry's point, probably didn't want them to win three 0 but wants them to to get all the way to the final. And then I'd love if it was lose. like a three two sort of situation, and there was actually a bit of back and forth, and you genuinely thought like, oh, will Bayern steal it? And like you know. City had a bit of nerves around the whole thing. I think that probably would have been better in the long term. But also, like with the the squad the City have, I I don't know how much actually being in multiple tournaments is gonna affect them. Mm. You know, they they're so experienced at that at this stage, having gone the way for the last multiple seasons. It's just possible injuries. You know, you saw De Bruyne last yeah. night howling a little bit, and you're like, oh, this could be. You know, if, if if that injury was more serious, all of a sudden you're saying, well, that, that is an impact on the on the title race. So it's avoiding injuries in the Champions League, I guess, yeah. and the FA Cup. Um, so if they can if they can do that, then they'll be fine. As you say, with the strength and depth, they probably have the more strength and depth than Arsenal. Although Arsenal have certainly oh completely got got there uh, much better than they were last season in that in that department. So they're getting there slowly but surely. I mean, I think the Jesus injury probably showed that. You know, they are there are players there that can step in and do a job, and I think if Arteta can sign a few more this summer, that would be great. It's uh, Real Madrid and Man City on the same side of yeah. the draw, and it's um, AC Milan or Napoli on the same side of the draw as Benfica or Inter. So it could be an all Milan if um, Milan managed to to do Napoli, or it could be Napoli versus Inter in the uh, semi-final which you'd think given the respective performances in the league so far Napoli would be feeling pretty good about so it's setting up for Napoli to um, to make it to the final against either Real Madrid or Manchester City but those semi-finals if they go the way we think they are going to go after last night um, two legs uh, in one week the 9th and 10th of May and the 16th and 17th of May will be Real Madrid against Manchester City they will be good games Oh, crackers we, des- we deserve that 
yeah, we, yeah. We, I think we deserve uh, to see exactly what that would be like. The other big news coming out from the uh, football world overnight is, uh, and it broke first in the London Times, is that Jude Bellingham won't be joining Liverpool, that Liverpool have pulled out of their Bellingham pursuit because they feel like investing all their resources in one player is bad business when they need so much uh, reinforcements and that the only way to do that properly is to uh, search around for some better value. Mm. Well, it certainly sounds like he, he wants either City or Real Madrid. Manchester are, are another option, but maybe further down the list. Uh, and it depends what way Ten Hag wants to go, but you can understand Bellingham's thinking as well if he didn't want to go to Liverpool, especially if they don't get Champions League for next season. So the way it's written in the papers is that this isn't Bellingham's decision, yeah. that Liverpool have actually pulled out, out. In, in advance of this. And I don't know, maybe maybe Bellingham, maybe somebody has tipped him off that that wasn't what he wanted mm. and that they weren't going to uh, get there in the end. And so therefore, rather than it be a humiliation later to be rejected, they're, um, no, no, I'm breaking up with you. But I, I don't know if that's the case. It seems like certainly what they've briefed is that they've decided that they have so many holes in their team that Jude Bellingham isn't going to be a one-man messiah to fix this team and that rather than spending their £150 million on on him, they're going to spend that on several players. So Mason Mount gets mentioned. Tielemans, who's obviously free at the end of the season, is getting mentioned. And then there's a bunch of other midfielders. Um, there's a 20-year-old at Bayern who's not getting any game time at the moment who everybody wants, apparently, except Bayern. Uh, this always happens and then there's a few other players who um, they've been linked with too it ends up it ends a transfer saga Conor you know, Gallagher yeah there you go like Jurgen Klopp's going to be at, was going to be asked about Jude Bellingham fairly consistently between now and the summer if if this hadn't happened so I think now that cuts the question for sure and, and any element of a potential transfer saga is, is out the window so yeah smart move by Liverpool depending on who dropped out this story um, but yeah very fascinating to see where he ends up because he will leave Dortmund you'd imagine this summer well is it a smart move by Liverpool? well to, to announce it this early if they don't want him you know, they, don't, they don't let it drag on but well because the Liverpool fans are bitter yeah well of course they want the, uh, Noel Cowell says I always supported FSG but after last summer windows and the news that broke last night and the lies they basically have told I can see a lot of Liverpool fans wanting them out now but maybe Liverpool and Klopp are right maybe FSG are right here maybe he's not the man to fix all these problems like we don't know how how he would end up at Liverpool you know we can't we can't uh, tell the future but pff, they probably probably do need club, uh, plugs gapped in, in, in about two or three four different areas of the pitch I mean look at the performances this season and, and I don't think Jude Billingham fixes them all and he's such an expensive talent that you look at the likes of City they can well afford him Real Madrid can well afford him as well but um, it depends where he wants to end up maybe he doesn't want to go back to England at this stage you know, maybe Real Madrid is the option for him uh, and he comes back when he's 25-26 he's only 19 Jude Billingham he's got plenty of time to come back to the Premier League he's not even in his prime you'd imagine yet so unless he's a Michael Owen type um, so yeah fascinated to see where he, where he ends up don't be too sad Liverpool fans he'll be fine he'll be fine they'll, 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 they'll sign a few big names uh, well, yeah, are you confident about that? I think they're going to spend money anyway it'll be interesting to see who they sign mm. who would Mason be the Mount's big an interesting names one. that you think Liverpool will sign that will actually make a difference I like it you just have to pick. You just have to pick two or three players that are that are forty million pound signings rather than this one hundred and thirty, hundred forty million pound talent. I think when you're a team in flux like Liverpool and a team that's clearly in transition, that's those are the type of signings you need to make. You don't just make one big massive marquee signing and go, oh, there you go, that's fixed. Uh, so the likes of Mason Mount, depending on what what Mason Mount costs, would be would probably be a good sign for Liverpool. Uh, I, look, I, I kind of all the managers who have ever played. Mason Mount, apart from the Potter 
era at Chelsea. Everybody else has picked him and put him in the team and he's got a lot of praise. I have yet to see exactly how he's going to dominate games um, or develop into one of those players but he is one of the players who's linked and as he only has a year left in his contract and they don't seem to want him then they think they'll be able to get him for what they would say is value which could be anything between 40 and 60 million mm. Tielemans is free and uh, like everybody was raving about Tielemans a year ago if he gets back to that form um, then he would probably be a good signing for any of those top four teams uh, the other players that they're linked with in the Telegraph this morning are Conor Gallagher Moises Caicedo Ryan Gravenberch Burke uh, of Bayern Munich he's the 20 year old who they signed from um, Ajax who's not getting game time um, uh, Nunez of Wolves so uh, would three of those fix Liverpool's midfield mm. they go a long way if, certainly if they could get a few of them so uh, yeah that, Liverpool's transfer uh, battles are going to be the big one I think over the next few months alright two minutes past eight that's what Liverpool fans are reduced to talking about the transfer window and it hasn't even opened yet because you're not involved in Champions League action and all barely. anyway <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm picking at the scab this morning and I shouldn't be, it's unfair. Uh, right, two minutes past eight, as I said. The football pod are hitting the road again. They're heading to Killarney for Off the Ball's first big show of the summer. It's all with thanks to AIB. Tommy Rooney, Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue will be bringing the football pod to the Great Southern Hotel for a live episode with special guests on Thursday, the 4th of May. Join us for a brilliant night of football chat and crack. Plenty of focus on the All-Ireland champions, Kerry, and the contenders who are coming for their throne. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited and they're selling really fast, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. It's all in partnership with AIB. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Now, Mevda Burka joins us to uh, offer some analysis on the Republic of Ireland's 1-0 defeat at the hands of the USA last night. Maeve, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, not too bad now. How are you doing? What did you make of this performance? Yeah, it was a very positive performance, I think, overall. Um, you know, obviously, disappointed, I suppose, maybe not to, to score. Maybe we're hoping for too much against the world champions, like I said. But um, it was overall, I thought, um, it was a good performance. Um, the goal was, I suppose, unfortunate for Courtney in that um, it would, I suppose, it'll go down as a a goalkeeping error really because um the goal came um just just inside um just before half time from Alanda Cook. She was crossing the ball in after um after a corner initially from the US. So um from that point of view I suppose it's a little bit disappointing but overall I think um a lot of positives to take. You can be glass half full, you can be glass half empty about a performance like this. Glass half empty just for a minute is that we didn't create enough chances over the two games to actually score against the USA and that has been a big problem for us. So are you seeing at least any signs of progress in terms of creating good quality chances? Yeah, I mean, I suppose in terms of shots on goal, um, last night it was, um, I suppose, two and two. So, you know, we matched them in that regard. Um, Like going forward, I think... Really, I suppose it's always going to be on the break against um, a team like the, the US who are going to always dominate possession. And um, I think really it's when they're when they're up the field um, for set pieces, that's when we can really um, counterattack and look to use um, the pace. I think, um, especially on the wings with Katie and Heather, I think they're a really big threat, especially with teams like the US who like to push their fullbacks forward. That's where the space is out wide. And um, we did create... A, bits of chances few chances I suppose um, so from that point of view it was a little bit more positive but you're always going to be so limited um, you know in chances especially from play uh, and against teams like this so it's set pieces really is where we can try try to make it matter What did you think of that changing of tactics from Vera Powell because like 
I don't know how long people have been talking about the fact that they want, you know, to see, like, is it possible for Ireland to, to do something other than a low block to utilise Heather Payne in a different way rather than that, you know, her being the lone striker up top and running the absolute length of the pitch multiple times, but actually not getting any opportunity to score. And obviously we saw Kira Carusa kind of filling in that role over this international window and Heather going into that wing role. Do you think that's something that Vera Power is going to persist with? Like, was there enough benefit that we got from it that this is actually something that we can implement in the World Cup? Yeah, personally, I think I think so. I think um, Heather is, is definitely um, suited to the wing. Um, I mean, I um, would have known her. She, she played at Salt and Devon, the same club as I did back in the day. And, um, you know, she always would have operated predominantly as a winger and wouldn't be known for a goal scoring. Um, Bilge is just so... Um, you know, prominent and assistant and everything that I think that's where she, she could be best utilized for sure. And even I was watching, I was listening to the, the American feed last night and they did, um, you know, say that she nearly burned a, a side on, on the then length of the pitch, um, you know, but then I suppose in turn with her using so much energy going forward, then the US also used it. Uh, I think Sophia Smith was out there um, at some stages, you know, just using her pace as well to get by. But um, yeah, I think definitely in, in a, a wide position is, is where she's suited. And it was interesting to see Kira Caruso seem to be now the preferred option. Um, I suppose before this camp, maybe we would have thought uh, Amber Barrett would have been in with a shout up there as well. Um, you know, she only, she got very limited game time over the course of the two games. So um, it is interesting to see how, I suppose, different players have, have been preferred in different positions now going forward with a view to the World Cup in mind. It's interesting you bring up Amber Barrett there because she had that in, that shoulder injury and then when she was over in Germany for a little bit she was playing in a full back position as she was like trying to get more game time coming and like it was quite a serious injury it kept her out for a couple of months and when she was talking heading into this camp she was saying one of the things that she really wanted to do was get some minutes and obviously she didn't I think she came on around 85 minutes last night so only played about five minutes and um, plus whatever extra time there was like would for a player like her what's the concern level do you think now because obviously she gave us that magical moment against Scotland but even she herself has said since that like that's absolutely no guarantee and now that Vera Powell seems to be favouring you know having Carusa up there with Shiva and Farrelly providing the support into her and like playing those balls in that's not really Amber Barrett's style of play. Is is that something that's going to be a concern for her over the next couple of months? Yeah, I suppose. Um, although it's still like, I know we're just less now than 100 days out. There's still um, two games to be played, you know, Zambia and France. And we can see that a lot actually has changed. You know, even you look at it in terms of Lucy Quinn, who, who wasn't um, initially in the squad and then la- and last night started. So it's player of the match of, as well um, on the RT. Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you know, I don't think anyone really would have predicted that. I, I don't know. I suppose it's uh, it's just an intriguing one, really, how someone can like be named in the initial squad and then go on to to start and, like you said, be player of the match, which is great for for Lucy going forward as well. But um, yeah, going back to your question in terms of Amber, I think like that anything can change, and if you know she hits a run of form now with her club that's all she can focus on obviously is her um, game time with the club and try try to perform as best she can there like every player really in the squad um, 
that's what they're going to be be looking to to focus on um, between now and I think it's the twenty second of June when they they face Zambia next. So, um, yeah, like I said, a lot can change in the course of a very short amount of time. Are you suggesting Kathleen she might not make the squad? Uh, I I don't think she's a certainty by any stretch, especially with the way that Vera was setting up her team in this particular window and the fact that she's not getting a whole lot of game time in Germany. Now, I say that Vera always used to be very big on game time and players getting it and then we see players like Sinead Farrelly coming in and other players in the squad who haven't had a lot of game time. Um, But yeah, like I... It's entirely possible at this stage. I think there's a lot of positions up for grabs. I was looking at my last edition of Power Rankings that I did during the last international window and there was quite a few movers and shakers. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of like what Maeve says. There is still a bit of time and we do still have those games, but I would would be a little worried if I was Amber Barrett at the moment, yeah. Is it concerning at all, Maeve, that that, we really only started to threaten last night when Louise Quinn is, is lumped up top? Like, I know it's probably preparation almost for... You know, if you are a goal or two down in a World Cup match, you can utilise that option. But is that a is that a break glass in case of emergency kind of option? Do you think? Yeah, it's it's an option definitely, and yeah, like I said, she went up front again last night, and I think um, you know, really from set pieces, I think yeah, Louise is definitely is such a threat. But on the flip side, then, and we saw it once, I think around the hour mark last night, the US they're so. Um, dangerous on the break like all the top teams nations are so when we've players committed forward and you know the likes of Louise who in fairness almost always gets her head to the ball she's going to be one of the most furthest forward and then you know on the flip side like I said then when they counter attack we're looking uh, for her to chase the length of the pitch so I suppose what I'm saying is if we could have two Louise Quins, it could be come in handy you know especially towards the end of a game but um, yeah I mean it's it's an option to have, but yeah, it's a last resort really as well. But um, like I said, if, if we can really make the set pieces count, um, that's that's where I think we'll be a real threat to teams. And like the US as well, last night set up and um, the game before set up with a zonal defence. So I think from their point of view, they, they might be looking at that because um, they definitely looked vulnerable um, from that point of view. Maeve, what's your expectation of how well we're going to get on at the World Cup now that it's like five months away? I, I would be lying Sorry. if I'd say I'm Four already. Yeah, I'm up. Yeah, true. Yeah, so I think it's 99 days out uh, as far as I know. But um, I kind of already looked at the permutations and that, and uh, I think uh, you know a second round uh, matchup against England would be would be uh, pretty spicy to say the least. Would be unreal if uh, could manage to to somehow you know get through to to that round. That would be be fantastic. For, I think if we were to finish second and England were to top their group we'd face up against each other which uh, would be mouth-watering really um, but yeah I think like I suppose that the games are they're they're hard to predict because um, actually yesterday um, Australia beat England 2-0 and I mean that's definitely not one that could have been predicted either um, and I think um, Canada lost to France as far as I know and, and Nigeria beat New Zealand as well so um, it's definitely going to be a very interesting group I think like in every tournament getting something out of the first game is massive so I really think if we could even you know get a point against Australia in what will be um, you know a very tough tough opening game especially with the fans but as we know there's so many Irish down under as well it, it could you know it could work in our, in Ireland's favour too but I think if we got something out of the first game then who knows after that you know um, 
but obviously Canada and Nigeria are, are both going to be very tough gains as well. Kathleen was making the point earlier, Maeve, that, that Ireland certainly seemed to tire a little bit in the second half last night. And when you look at the list of names that are kind of coming off the bench for, for the USA, uh, Julie Ertz, Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, it's encouraging enough that a tiring Ireland still managed to, to nullify their impact and, and kind of deal with them. Like a 1 0 isn't bad. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think um, from the US point of view, they could be slightly worried, to be honest, because, like, um, you know, from their point of view, Ireland should be a team that, that they should be beating and beating well, you know. Um, if they are, like, they go into every tournament with the expectation to win and this World Cup would be no different. They're going to be going for three in a row, which would be an incredible achievement. But I don't think, at the, judging off off the game um, yesterday, I don't think, you know, it's, it's much... Um, they have they've a long way to go basically I suppose is what I'm saying but um but yeah from an Irish perspective um just to be able to to, to remain solid and limit their opportunities to yeah two shots on goal um and like I said that you know uh, I suppose a preventable goal as well uh, a draw was a realistic result um given by, based on the performance so yeah it's really it is reassuring that we can kind of um you know, uh, limit limit their opportunities, but I suppose the only worry would be that if if we do go a goal down and in a tournament situation, then you're going to have to go and um, try to chase the game a bit more. You know, last night I think you could see Vera Pau almost asking for the full time whistle, which you know, obviously one nil they would have taken it before the game, but um, you know, it's just that extra step now uh, going forward in, in in the World Cup because you know. Uh, one nil losses, you know, is still um, no points gained. So um, it's just a matter of that. Then can we? We know now, I suppose, that we're able to defend and defend, defend well. But it's whether we can kind of add goals then, if if they're needed. Can I ask you, as somebody who's been involved in squads, um, what the what the knock on impact of somebody joining the team at this stage and getting straight into the team, and somebody who's been a hero of the campaign not being on the plane do the players care ultimately when they get to the World Cup is it a, a conversation for a day or two and then they get there and actually you know what it's all business or is that the type of thing that could cause some rancour yeah I mean I suppose like I said previously the girls who, who are still on the plane with the other girls um, they probably don't you know won't mind as much I, I think at this stage there's going to be a bit of a Mayfainer attitude towards it because all the girls individually want to be on that plane and um, you know, like it really is the girls who, who miss out who are going to be the ones who will be thinking about it and thinking about it for a long time, I'm sure, as they watch on uh, the games. But yeah, those within the squad and those who have made it, um, I don't think they'll be, be too worried, um, you know, from the, from their own side once they're the ones who are um, on the plane as well. All right. Is there something further to that point, though, in that the squad have, say, I don't know, a player like Kira Grant who's been involved in like every single squad of the qualifying campaign maybe hasn't got a whole lot of minutes and now is very much... Like she she said during this time in the US that, you know, she's talked to Vera about what her role is in the team and she's aware of it, but also her position is one of the ones that is probably up for grabs at the moment and is pretty, you know, that midfield is pretty packed and she could very easily not make the plate like... Surely there would be some, yeah, especially with someone like, and again, this is not, she, she's just an easy player to pick out, but Sinead Farley coming in, only played 60 minutes, has only ever trained with the team three times. She played great on Saturday and like, 
I mean, if she goes to the World Cup and does a job for us, I don't think I will be complaining. But I just wonder in the squad, you know, she's a midfielder too. Is there that little bit of a, if you're trying to gel a group? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm sure there has to be friction. Like, I mean, that's understandable because if there's a player coming in and, and you can see directly that, that she's the one that's going to or could potentially take her position or even you compare it to the likes of Jamie Finn who's, who had been predominantly a starter or at least getting a lot of game time throughout the campaign and um, you know she, she's kind of gone down the pecking order now as well with the new recruits in um, you know like I said um, Sinead Farley and, and the likes of Eva Mannion as well and you know in fact like last night they were the two of them were arrested as such you know so I suppose that would indicate that they're seem to be um, important players going forward um, if you're already trying to, you know, you're obviously injury prevention and that. So, yeah, there, I, I'd imagine, you know, um, when it comes to on the pitch that, I, you know, I'm sure all the intensity of training sessions and everything is, is up to the max because, um, you know, it's such fine lines. It's like that if they do one thing right or one thing wrong, it could cost them the place um, either to go or not go to the, the yeah. World Cup so uh, yeah a lot of pressure Maeve good stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers cheers thanks guys it's Maeve DeBurka giving us some thoughts on the Republic of Ireland the 1-0 defeat against the United States uh, overnight it is 18 minutes past 8 if you want to get in touch with us 0879 is the WhatsApp number you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream you can tweet us at off the ball AM up next we're going to talk about last night's game and Manchester City and maybe a little bit about Chelsea as well with Jonathan Wilson OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball A 3-0 win for Manchester City against Bayern Munich last night and I'm delighted to say Jonathan Wilson is with us to reflect a little bit on that Um, Jonathan, Pep Guardiola seemed happy but uh, also you know, uh, keen to point out that his his side were bested in certain elements of the game last night and that the tie's not over so uh, he'll be happy but um, I guess until he actually is through the tie he's not going to be relaxed Is that fair? Yeah, I think that is fair. And I think it's a reasonable position to take. I mean, I don't think City were much better than Bayern last night. Uh, I think the difference really between the sides was that when Bayern's defence put the pressure, it, it crumbled. Uh, Uber Meccano particularly, Jan Sommer had a, a pretty mixed night, some great saves, but also looked pretty hesitant at times. Whereas City placed under pressure, defended really well in those sort of um, I don't want to say last ditch, that makes it sound too desperate, but in, in those sort of very basic, sort of visceral bits of defending, the putting in the blocks, the, the, the winning the headers. Uh, so you think of that, that Ruben Diaz block at nil nil for Musiala, which is, you know, is, is a great block. Um, there was a, a couple of corners with the score at one nil when City bodies got in the way. It wouldn't have taken a huge amount for, for one of those to go in and then maybe, maybe it's a different game, but. City did stay strong and, and, and Bayern absolutely didn't. And we'd seen that from Bayern the end of the first leg against PSG, that you put them under pressure and they do wobble. Um, whether that's uh, you know a function of, of the Bundesliga being essentially quite straightforward for them and, and not going under pressure often, whether it's a function of, of the individual players, it's, it's pretty hard to say. But uh, Upper I thought, thought the World Cup as well, you know, under pressure, looked a bit iffy. And and he had a, had a poor second half. So three 0 It I mean realistically, it is over. It should be over. Um, but I can see why there's an element of caution there. And I think you know what what Tuchel said afterwards was also very true that the result was was tough for them. I think tough was a word used by the interviewer, but he, he then repeated it. 
Um, but the performance actually by and played pretty well. It was just some individual issues ended up costing them. And, and City now with Holland have that cutting edge that, that perhaps they, they, they didn't take that kind of opportunity in previous seasons. Can we just focus a little bit on the Man City defence and the evolution of the team? Because it, it's it's a different style and setup, and we're seeing it in these big games now that it's not just something that he's, he's doing um, in games where he expects to dominate, but the four centre-backs, uh, two of whom are full-backs who are happy to step into midfield, is different from having Cancelo and Walker and even what he was talking about Walker during the week. It was very pronounced. Sometimes he says things and then three weeks later he's like, oh, I, I trained the player by telling him what I wanted to do. So um, maybe that will happen with Walker, but it doesn't look like it at the moment. What's going on there? What, what, how does that change the balance of the team and why has he done it, do you think? I, well, I think to an extent it's been forced on him. Uh, I think Walker has, has never been, you know, Walker's great strength is his pace. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's great in, in terms of, of recovery that you can play a high line Walker and he will get back. We've seen that for England as well. Um, but he, I don't think he has that same tactical intelligence to say Philip Lamb would have where he can, he can move into one of those almost a halfback role, a deep lying central midfield role. Uh, Cancelo, I think, was doing that pretty well, but then something personal clearly happened in their relationship and Cancelo was, was shipped off. And so you have to change things. And John Stones, he's never going to give you what Walker does going forward from right back. And I know he played centre back last night, that they, they, they changed it again. But you know, the, the, the Leipzig game, the, um, and then what well, the Palace game, a couple of the league games, he has been playing at, at right back, but then moving into that, that Philip Lamb style, uh, fullback slash halfback role. So I, I think the, the basic idea of that, uh, is, Guardiola is very keen, I think, when he's got the ball to try and have five, five outfields behind the ball at all times. Now that will, that will change over the course of a move. It doesn't have to be the same outfielders at all times. And ideally it shouldn't be. You need that, 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 that fluency, that, that, that mobility. But if you have those five outfielders in that three, two shape, that sort of trapezoid shape, then that is a very solid defensive base. And I think that's something that's actually been true of football going right back to the 1920s. Yeah, that's what the WM was. You had the three, the back line of three, then the two halfbacks. And that, it turns out, is a really, really solid shape. There's a reason WM endured so long. The difference between what Guardiola does and WM is that the WM was pretty rigid. The players didn't didn't move in and out of those positions. Uh, and also, there was mirrored by the, by the forward line. So it was a very straightforward, the right back picks up the left winger, the right half picks up the inside left. And so it was based on on man to man marking. Zonal marking comes in. It's the late fifties, early sixties. People realise if you have a back four, that means the fullbacks can get forward more. Gives you greater uh, flexibility and fluidity. But the the basic solidity of that shape has always been true. And even you know Conte's Chelsea, when they played that that sort of uh, we called it sort of a three four two one or three four three. But the, the the wingbacks in that were, were getting forward. They were performing the role that wingers would have done in the WM, but obviously with more defensive responsibility. So that trapezoid base, I think, is something Guardiola has always looked to, or certainly since he went to Bayern, has always looked to. Philip Lamb led him to do it at Bayern. Cancelo has led him to do it at City. And now John Stones is allowing him to do it. Um, I'd be fascinated to know his reasoning for not starting Stones at right back to do it last night. Maybe he thought against good opposition where... City weren't going to dominate the ball in the way they often do in league games, where there wasn't going to be 60, 65% possession, uh, where it's going to be nearer 50-50. Maybe he thought just simplify it, have Stone stepping out from from centre-back, 
and Akanji can play as a as a more orthodox right back. Um, and I think the other effect of that, which I, I, I don't know if it's a sort of unintended consequence, but Ake playing in that more orthodox role, that more defensive role than how Cancelo played, that seems to have liberated Grealish. That Grealish, I think, I mean, Grealish himself had said this. I mean, Grealish is one of those players who, um, when he actually gets a chance to talk about football and his role in the side, I think is fascinating explaining his thought processes. And you know, he has said he found it difficult having a player coming inside him, whereas all the time at Villa was a player overlapping him, whereas Cancelo would, would come inside. And that then changes Grealish's defensive role as well. And I think one of the things he struggled with last season was, was to adjust to that new, A, that sense of responsibility, and B, the the, 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 the difference in relationship with his fullback. Ake playing that in a more orthodox way it means that Grealish can, can slightly go back to the Villa Grealish. He's still yeah, clearly doing much more defensive work than he ever did at Villa, but he's not having to constantly look inside for, is my fullback there? Is that avenue blocked? No, I can come inside now. Uh, and I think that's, that's why he's playing better. So it's it's partly, as with all these things, I think it's partly a sort of top-down theoretical, this is what we're doing, we want to get this 3-2 this shape. Um, it's partly uh, to do with, with, with personnel and personalities and individuals adapting and adjusting to... To, to the situation that city three two five shape in possession, Jonathan. Like, did did Tuchel get his his, I guess, formation correct in dealing with that? It seemed like a, maybe a four two three one. He spoke about not getting much sleep in advance of the game. I don't know. Should he have slept on the on the formation a little, a little bit more? Because I'm not sure the tactics seem to work against that trapezoid shape that you mentioned. Oh, I disagree. I, I think I think Tuchel got that as I, I thought. I thought Bayern caused City more problems in that first half, or even the first hour. Than any other side this this year, um, you know, packing the forward areas with pace to, to try and get in behind City. That's that's where Guardiola's sides can be vulnerable. Um, I think the, the the problem wasn't an issue of shape; it was an issue of of personnel. Uh, and it, you know, Upper Meccano, we've already talked about that. The, you know, he, he gives away the second goal and then sort of you know, went into this sort of funk for the final <laughs> quarter of the game. But actually, I think the first goal was really bad individual defending. Um, you know, the, the, I'm sure the reasoning of playing the 4-2-3-1, having the two deep line midfielders there, having Kimmich and, and Goretzka, was to block up exactly that area where Rodri came through. Um, so I don't know why Rodri was in so much space when he picks up the ball. Um, and I'm sure Tuchel would feel that was a failure of tactics, whether he blamed himself for that or whether that's players not following the plan. You know, it's, it's difficult for us outside to know. They can argue about that. But what then happens, I think, is really, really poor. So Musiala obviously panics a bit because he sees Rodri in space, charges across. Don't really blame him for that because somebody's got to put in the challenge. But with the pace he's going at means that it's easy for Rodri to turn inside him. And where I think they really let themselves down is that Kimmich is actually there. He's just very, very slow to get out to him. Now, Kimmich should have been moving out, even as Musiala's coming over, in case sort of, the ball pops loose from the challenge or in case Rodri turns inside and the ball's loose. Kimmich should be there to, 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 to snaffle that, and he's not. And then even then, Rodri has time to line up the shot, and Kimmich's very slow to get out to him, and then he turns his back. And you know, I don't want to sound you know, old football man about turning your back, but don't turn your back. Turning your back makes you smaller. Um, and yeah, I, I, if, if he... If, he, if he'd gone chest onto that, the, the ball probably still would have gone past him. But the space wouldn't have been as big. It would have been a harder shot for, for Rodri to take on. So I think Kimmich, well, though he played in other aspects, I think he really, really 
lets them down on that, that first goal. And obviously, once the first goal's gone in, the whole dynamic of the game changes. So I don't think it's a, that's a tactical issue. I think that's individuals failing to fill their jobs. And it, you do wonder, you know, as I said, with Upper Meccano, whether it's an issue with Kimmich that he's so used to Bayern being dominant in the, in the Bundesliga that in that kind of situation, you don't need to get out to, to the Rodri figure because players playing for Bundesliga clubs can't smack the ball in the top corner from 25 yards. You can afford to give them a little bit more time. But that lack of urgency, that's not a tactical issue. That's, that's just a basic failure, uh, you know, chemic failure defending. So a work ethic thing, because you, you see Haaland chasing down Summer and almost getting a goal in the first half. And Grealish, we mentioned earlier as well, you know, kind of blocking off that up and Meccano pass for the, for the second goal. So it's, uh, when you say an, an individual thing, it's work ethic. Like the, the city players were just working harder yeah, than the I bankers. I think it's work ethic. It's work ethic, you know, you, know you, you, could, you could run 18 kilometres in a game and sort of really put in the miles. Sorry, that's a terrible mixed metaphor. You can really put in the effort and, and run huge distances in the game. But, you know, you, you've got to be sharp in individual moments. And it's, it's I mean, yeah, cowardice is far too strong a word. But, you you got you know compare compare Kimmich's reaction to Rodri getting the space mm. to Diaz when Musiala got the space two minutes earlier, and Diaz gets himself out to it, makes himself big. He's facing the player. He's sort of spreading his legs, ready to go either side, and he makes the block. Kimmich half-heartedly goes, turns his back, and where Rodri sort of sorry uh, where Diaz made his body, you know, twice as big. Kimmich made his half as big. Um, I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but that has to do with, you know, with with the basics of defending and 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 courage and alertness. Yeah, um, I'm sure Kimmich's running stats were great for the game, but you know sometimes it's about putting your body on the line. John Giles used to talk about moral courage, and uh, that's kind of what he meant. I think that's the perfect encapsulation of it. It it does then because I, I, we were having this conversation a little bit earlier on and I, I'm not entirely convinced that the game is totally put to bed just yet I can I can see a situation where an early goal for Bayern and suddenly it's, it's game on it's really enthralling second leg but at the same time what you're talking about there is that Man City were really at it last night and that's what they need to be in the Champions League because there have been games where there hasn't been a clarity of uh, purpose because the team selection was just a little bit different from what they were used to but that's not the case at the moment Pep's picking the same team effectively and the same players in roughly the same position notwithstanding the right back and, and centre back switch but everybody knows exactly what their job is and that I think is maybe a little bit different from this part of the season and the early part of the season and also this team versus previous year's teams Yeah I, I think that's true I mean how long he can do that I think is interesting because they've still got potentially 15 games to play this season and that's you know if you're an Arsenal fan I think that's the one thing that gives you hope still that um, I mean, before last night, City had twice as many games left to play, potentially twice as many games left to play as Arsenal. Can you keep playing essentially that same 11 or same sort of 12 or 13? Because uh, I mean, you know, Mares could have come in for Bernardo Silva. Yeah, but it, it's, you know, right, it's minor tweaks. It, even the, the Akanji Stones tweak, it's a, it's a basic pattern everybody now understands. And a modification on that is much easier to, to assimilate for players than, than a completely new strategy. Can you keep doing that for for the another fifteen games? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they can, but you, you, that'd be the one slight concern that um, that the, there might be some fatigue after coming. Having said that, City's running in the Premier League, apart from the Arsenal game, is pretty straightforward. Uh, it's certainly more straightforward than Arsenal's. Arsenal still have to go to Newcastle. City don't have a game 
anywhere near as hard as that. I think they've both got to play Chelsea at home, but you know, Chelsea these days, I mean, certainly Chelsea under Lampard on Saturday were, were pretty dreadful. So even that probably isn't that that tough a game. So I think maybe some of those Premier League games, uh, you know, as, as, as we get nearer the end of the season, Guardiola can start to rest players or or do what he's been actually what he's been doing with Holland anyway, which is get a couple of goals, have half an hour off. And Holland clearly, I think, has been a little bit frustrated at that that he'd like to keep on, you know, banging in more and more goals. And yeah, I'm sure he'd have had even you know, scored even more hat tricks than, than he already has if if that consideration hadn't been there and he hadn't been being rested for a, a third of a load of games. On that, Jonathan, like you, you even see the impact of Julian Alvarez off the bench last night. Brilliant again. Uh, um, will Arsenal fans watching on prefer? Do you think this City team to keep going in the Champions League? They're in the FA Cup as well. Like, is it a distraction, or because of the strength and depth, does it really matter? I think if you're an Arsenal fan, you want City to keep going, absolutely, because you you want them tired. Um, a distraction, I, I think. I, I sort of think distraction is a fair enough word if you're a sort of a, a team battling relegation. Um, that you know, if, if if I don't know, let, let, let me think of an example. If um, I mean, this is a long time ago, but Sunderland in 1992 when they got to the cup final in you know, as a second flight side, clearly their league form was hammered by the cup run, and they they weren't far off being relegated to, to the third flight that season. And and if they hadn't been in the cup they would have been a comfortable mid-table side. So it was a distraction for them, all the emotional energy going into a small handful of games. I think in the modern game for teams near the top of the Premier League, you, you expect to be... If you're, in the, if you're in the Premier League title race, Arsenal this season, it's a pretty odd circumstance not to be involved in Europe at this stage. I think it's just something you've got to, got to expect. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure distraction is the right word, but clearly it does take a physical toll the more games you play, the more tired you'll be, the more chance there are of injuries. And, you know, no side is completely immune from injuries. So, yeah, De Bruyne went down last night and uh, and it looked for a little, a couple of minutes, it looked like it might be quite serious. And then you start to think, well, if, if De Bruyne's out, you know, do they have that same creative intelligence? Maybe not. Maybe it becomes easier for teams to frustrate them. Maybe everybody else has to work a little bit harder. Maybe that does have an impact. As it turned out, De Bruyne was fine. But yeah, they, they get an injury to, to Holland or De Bruyne or, or Greenish the way he's playing at the minute, particularly if Foden's not back. Um, maybe even John Stones or Diaz, the way he played last night. Maybe that does have an impact. So so yeah, if you're an Arsenal fan, you want City to keep going. But I, I think it's more that sort of accumulated fatigue, potential for injuries, rather than being the sort of emotional distraction that we might have talked about with, with, you know, with smaller clubs going far in the FA Cup, so... The way that the draw is is set up, obviously, for Manchester City, if they go through, they play the winner of the the game um, tonight between uh, Chelsea and and Real Madrid. Um, Is this as well set as they've been? Are they as well prepared for what what challenges lie ahead in the Champions League as they've ever been under Pep? Yeah, I mean, you sort of think so, but then they have been really well set before and, and have just found a way to mess it up. I mean... You think last season when we were saying pretty much the same thing that the the, the game against Atletico they they'd they'd shown that sort of um, uh, intelligence and game management I guess is the polite way of putting it that that sort of cynicism to to win that tie that we hadn't really seen from before and you sort of thought oh, okay yeah there's a there's a new side to them 
And then, yeah, they absolutely batter Real Madrid. They, yeah, they, they, they could have won that tie 6-0 over two legs and somehow end up losing it. Um, and, and that was a, you know, a freakish thing to do with Real Madrid last season where they, they could pull out results from nowhere. And also City just mysteriously conceding goals. And, you know, that first leg particularly, that was never a 4-3 game. That could have been 4-0. Um, and maybe that's, you know, if you think of where where the Real Madrid attacks came from that in that game, it was Vinicius getting away down the left. And maybe that's where this 3-2 trapezoid defensive shape, maybe that will help to counter that, that you, you have that that player deeper in, in, in a sort of semi-right-back slot to, to, to stop that. Um, but I, I'm sort of... Look, City City look great. They look brilliant last night. They're on this amazing run of form. They scored, well, they won the last nine games, scored 30 odd goals in that time, conceded three. Yeah, they're looking superb, but they have looked superb before and still messed it up. And Real Madrid, I think, the, yeah, the, the, there is a sort of there is accumulated scar tissue from, from last season. You don't quite know how that will play out. The game tonight, um, Frank Lampard has been regaling the team with tales from the previous time that a manager who was an interim manager came in and, and won the tournament and um, that they've been talking about that I, and maybe maybe it works maybe that rallying cry is exactly what this team of um, you know gifted professionals needed uh, if they were to be able to pull this out it would be one of the great shocks that I can remember in world football it would just be absolutely remarkable and so we don't expect it like how how can they how, how can they win this game over the two legs what needs to happen I mean, they need to get the sort of look that Chelsea got in 2012. Um, and look, they defended really well in that semi-final against Barcelona. Now, now that's the game of six in the mind of it just being abs- two absurd games of, yeah, over the two legs, pretty much 178 minutes of constant Barcelona pressure and somehow Barcelona not scoring. Um, I think it's much harder to do that against this Real Madrid than against that Barcelona. Brilliant as that Barcelona were, the thing they were brilliant at was the build-up play. They didn't necessarily have a great finisher. When you've got Benzema in the sort of form he's in, you know, how, how do you stop him getting chances? Because if he gets chances, he will score. Um, also, this Real Madrid, they, they've, they've just got... A, and we saw this last season, we saw it against Liverpool. They've got this tremendous capacity not to panic. Whereas Barcelona in 2012, you could see the panic, partly because of what they'd gone through in 2010 against Inter, of... We got all the ball, we're having all the chances, we're not scoring, what's going on? What's why is everything against us? Real Madrid have the exact opposite. They don't need the ball, they don't need chances, they just win games anyway. So I I find it almost impossible to see how, how Chelsea win this game. I think if Potter had still been there, there was a chance because um the issue with, with Potter's sides wasn't the defensive side of it, it was it was taking chances. I thought against Dortmund, although they lost the first leg in Germany. I thought they played really well that night. You know, most days they'd have won that game. Thought the second leg, very competent, very professional. Get the two goals. I thought they probably shut up a bit too early. That, that they could have just kept going. That they they ended up inviting a little bit of pressure then. But it was it was a much more comprehensive win than two one would suggest. And I don't think anybody doubts Graham Potter's capacity to to set up a team defensively, to set up a team to, to thwart an opponent. And and this is exactly. This would be exactly that sort of game. And then you hope that, you know, Joe Felix or, or Havertz or, um, or Mason Mount, if he's fit, can, can do something brilliant to, to nick you a goal. 
or you get a goal from set plays and they've got a you know a lot of, of big physical players on that side. Lampard, nobody thinks he can set up a team defensively. There's been no evidence of that at all. Um, or, or not to, to, to also offer some kind of attacking threat. I know there's that run in his final season at Chelsea where I think they kept six clean sheets in a row. But three of those games were drawn nil-nil. Watching that game, I mean, I was at Wolves on Saturday and Chelsea were a shambles that day. And you sort of then, um, you sort of think, does Lampard understand what his role is here? Because he he said afterwards, oh, well, I've only been here a couple of days. You know, I can't sort out all the problems in that time. And you sort of think, no, you're not here to sort out the problems. You're here to sort of hold a hand and take them through at the end of the season. Changing the shape and changing how they play, which is what he'd done. You know, they'd gone from a back three to a back four. They'd gone to the sort of Chelsea shape that they that they used when he was a player. Yeah, Conor Gallagher was being used in, in the Lampard role, a role I'm sure he'd like Mason Mount to be in if he, if he were fit. Why have you done that? The back three was was working. You know, the previous five games, they they won three, drawn one, lost one. It wasn't it wasn't disastrous. Sorry, previous six games, they'd won three, drawn two, lost one. There was, there was a sense of, of, of a system at work. They just weren't taking chances. Why have you ripped all that up? It would make sense if you thought you're going to be here next season and you thought you were building for the future. But that's not his job. His job is just to coax them over the line um, and, you know, and sort of try and regain a bit of a bit of momentum, uh, yeah, put a smile back on faces. You know, and so to say I couldn't do anything in two days, his entire job is to do something in two days. His entire job is to come in and just sort of shake everybody up in the way that Solskjaer did when he came in at United when he was initially there in, in the in the caretaker role. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd be I'd be amazed if, if Chelsea don't think You know, if, if if your midfield is getting outplayed by Wolves' midfield, how how do you expect to compete against Modric <laughs> and Camavinga and and Kroos? You know, it's just wait. not going to yeah. happen. I can't wait to see exactly what he does. Uh, great to have you with us, Jonathan. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. It's great stuff from Jonathan Wilson there this morning. I, I, I really am looking forward to uh, Man City, Real Madrid, two legs, semi-final. That's exactly what we need. The only thing against what Jonathan said there, I know Wolves midfield did overwhelm Chelsea's at the weekend, but uh, Mount is back, Kante is back, if Thiago Silva back, all three of them weren't there at the weekend. I'm not saying that's a little modicum of, of, of positivity for, for Chelsea fans, but... Lampard used the word escapism in his press conference yesterday and, and the Champions League is escapism from all the crap that's going on in the, in the Premier League fund. They, they're going to finish 11th it's not escapism it's, well, it's the game it's, they have it's nothing the to whole play. ball game yeah but they have nothing to play for in the Premier League so they can focus so, fully on this but sorry then the league is escapism and this is the business yeah, yeah, but it's escapism from the crap in the Premier League. Every game they play is is woeful. So I mean, sorry, the midfield that he had was Kovacic, Fernandez, and, and Gallagher. So like, yeah, you know, still strong. Fernandez is one hundred and twelve million or whatever. Yeah, you know, it <laughs> wasn't mean, it wasn't Scrubs. He wasn't picking you. No, true, but Kante, I'd be up front anyway, Jer. But Kante, Kante back in makes a difference. Kante. Excellent player. Not, I'm not saying they're going to overrun the Real Madrid midfield tonight in, in the Bernabeu, but yeah, it, it will be a miracle, as Jonathan says. Carl Malani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. How are you? Hey, lads. All what, well. what is going on? Plenty going on. Uh, 
wish sport in America would start a little bit earlier. That's ah. Legion New York, the Masters, and now the game last night. I mean, we can't sleep. Not good for, not good for this, <laughs> this show, anyway. <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, Ireland played quite well last night, didn't they? But they lost by a goal to nil uh, to the United States in that second international friendly. Ireland back in action when they play uh, Zambia later on this year in a friendly. Their World Cup opponents, Australia, beat England 2 0 in Brentford. Pretty significant result there uh, for Australia. England's first loss in 30 matches. Nigeria were 3 0 winners over New Zealand. Canada lost 2 1 to France last night. Man City, 3 0 winners over Bayern Munich. They have one foot in this uh, semi finals of the Champions League. Inter Milan beat Benfica by two goals to nil. Tonight, uh, Real Madrid take on Chelsea, as mentioned. That game at 8 o'clock. And the other match tonight is between Napoli and AC Milan. Uh, interesting story from the world of Gaelic Games that came out last night that the three time All Ireland hurling final referee, Fergal Horgan, has retired from intra county refereeing with immediate effect. He oversaw finals in 2017, 2020, and 2021. And he announced the news on Tipperary Midwest Radio last night. Quite critical as well. He said he last officiated, uh, he called the current appointments process a farce. And there's uh, further details on that in some of the papers uh, this morning. In terms of Gaelic Games. So I think this is a big story because, mm. um, uh, as far as I know, you, you have to retire at 50, right? Is that right? At inter-county level? Yeah, there used to be. I think that was the rule, yeah. And there's also like a fitness test that you've got to pass as well. Yeah. Um, when Morris Deegan, I know in football, had retired, was, yeah. was forced to retire because of age. But the, the fact that Fergal Horgan is, is alleging here that... I think Fergal was only 44, so sorry, yeah. or, or even younger. The referees are, fa- are apparently, according to him, failing fitness tests and, and still being being given matches. He also has the suggestion that, that there maybe is a focus on Leinster and Connacht referees and hurling now, that moulding them into top inter-county referees, and because of that, referees in Munster are suffering, but... It's concerning when you see a referee of that calibre, yeah, as you I, say, with, with from, years left. From what I gather, um, very popular with the players as well. And I know, I think Fergal Horgan was subject to a documentary a few years ago when he was mic'd up during a, a match as well in Crow Park. And it was a great insight into how referees operate during a match. Um, obviously, referees are such an integral part of the game. And it has been a subject that has been talked about as well in terms of recruitment and, and trying to get people into refereeing. So I'm, I'm not sure where this he was asked, has come from. Would you recommend getting involved? Mm. And he was like, absolutely not. No way. And this is somebody who's had three All-Irelands and has absolutely reached the top of the game. You know, it needs to be taken pretty seriously. And there's, again, we're not going to hear anything from anybody. No one's going to come out and talk about this. There's no one going to come forward and say, well, this is what we're doing. And in this instance, you know, he might have felt a little bit blah, blah, blah. There's like, you know, but um, so it'll be interesting to see if the story gets followed up and if there is official communication about it. But um, any perception there? In light of the last two or three weeks, we've seen referees that have gotten appointments that haven't passed the fitness test. That's not going down well among referees. We feel we're not getting a fair crack of the whip in Munster. So it's it's like, you know, there is a crisis in refereeing in all sports. Mm. Um, and it's very difficult to referee hurling. The game at the weekend was savage and it wasn't even championship intensity. So um, here's one of your best referees now unavailable for the rest of the championship. It's like, there's no incentive. Like, you know, it, people could go into schools. There's, there's probably so many kids in Irish schools who love hurling or Gaelic football or soccer, but they're, they're maybe not as talented at the sport in terms of playing it as, as some of their peers. But there is an avenue there to still be involved in the game through refereeing. I know it's a tough, tough industry, if you want to call it that, to get into, but there needs to be more incentive for young people to, to even try out refereeing. You, you mightn't like it, but and so he was, go. he was a successful hurler in his time, played uh, inter-county with Tip all the way up until he left to go to England and then came back and, and I think played um, uh, whatever the intermediate All-Ireland grade was called. 
Um, and so, like, it's steeped in the game, you know, and it's exactly the type of, has exactly the type of profile if you want of somebody getting involved. So, um, we will, maybe we'll try and talk to him and, and, and get him on. It was a, a local radio interview that he did. So, um, yeah, definitely interested to hear what he has to say. Yeah, interesting story. And uh, as you say, there might be more on that. Uh, just in some other Gaelic Games news, uh, Meath and Kildare both through to the semi finals of the Leinster Under 20 Football Championship. They had wins over West Meath and Loud, respectively, last night. And there is a seven race card at Gorham Park today, the first off there at 10 past four. All right, it's uh, 8.51 this morning. You're watching OTBAM. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879 is the WhatsApp number. And uh, you can always get us uh, 087. 9180, 180, or you can get us on uh, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Um, who do you want to win the Champions League? Uh, Napoli. I mean, I want to see Napoli win it. I think Real will win it, but certainly Napoli is the. And as a Man United fan, uh, Pep Guardiola winning it is the worst possible outcome, is it? <laughs> I think for all Premier League fans, I think it's not, not just a Manchester, Manchester thing. I think Guardiola has that smugness. I know. But I, then, I, but then I, he's. I, like, I mean, I think if. It's good for the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not like he hasn't won the Champions League before. I know this this, this whole massive deal is made of the Man City thing, but um, I just love a fairy tale. You know, like a Porto, Porto-Monaco final that time. We're not going to get that final because there's a, a weighted, heavily weighted side of the draw. No, that was but terrible. A, but Napoli, well, terrible. Well, but we all still remember it years later. The Jose Mourinho winning was not really, and I, it ended up not being that good for the game at all. That's before we knew Jose was Jose. Well, I mean, if you paid attention to the, the like Martin O'Neill knew after the Celtic final the previous year. <laughs> Potentially, yeah, yeah. He, he hadn't grown into his own yet, Jose. But um, uh, yeah, a little Napoli victory will be brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think, in fairness, Napoli winning would also be good. Uh, 8.52 this morning. Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, very good, sir. How are you? I'm very well. You've, you've dressed up for us. Thanks very much. I do. Well, look, I thought you deserved it this morning. <laughs> um, I, look, I, I kind of don't want to talk about this, but I kind of do. The The backlash against Leinster is, is interesting and it's uh, gathering pace. We had... Wigglesworth the weekend um, talking about the money. The money is the thing here. It's like, okay, you've, you know, who did you play for before? Were you? Anyway, and then um, it's the home semi-final yesterday. Brian Moore saying there should be no home semi-finals and finals. And I kind of agree a little bit, but like the horse bolted on that. Everybody knows where the, the competition is going to be. So, is, is there anything in this that we, as a, a, a rugby country, need to be aware of that actually? You know, when everybody's coming at you, sometimes you do need to listen to what they're saying to see if there's a credible argument being made that actually this is unsustainable or we're doing something wrong. What's your instinct? Uh, my instinct on this is Leinster haven't won the Heineken Cup for a few years. And if they were winning it uh, year in, year out, um, some of these arguments might be able to stand up. But they're in a rich vein of form. Um, I thought Brian Moore's article was quite whining yesterday. Um, I like a lot of his stuff actually um, and I like Brian and um, there is an advantage of playing at home all the time um, but a lot of that stems from the fact that Leinster have had uh, an incredibly high level of performance since the start of the season and the look at the draw in terms of the final being in the Aviva you know that's that's not down to Leinster and that just happens to be this circumstance so next year it won't be that way Whatever, whatever way it works. Though they could have a lot of home games up until that point. Um, on the financial side of it, I think they are in a very good position. They have plenty of backing. They have huge crowds, and that's the nature of it, you know. And look, I, I keep going back every now and then. I thought the the European competition was heavily weighted towards Ireland. Um, and I thought that the uh, the manner in which 
um, the French and the English teams try to manoeuvre the, the tournament, there made some bit of sense for that to happen, but I think they made an absolute balls of it. And as we've seen, because it changes every couple of years, um, they're going to change it back next year. And I don't know whether that's exactly right either, but it, it just feels everybody complains if they don't win all the time. And that's just what it seems like. For the last few weeks, that has seen, for me, poor show. Dan McFarlane talking about demographics was also interesting. It's like, it's true that uh, Leinster houses Dublin, which is the capital city and has the biggest population, but the population of County Antrim and County Down combined is like 1.3 million. And also, like, Ulster rugby has a long and storied tradition of um, producing players and has access to capital if they want it. So, just felt one of the things Gordon Darcy says today is that it gives everybody who's playing for those teams just a little bit of wiggle room. You know, not actually our fault. It's this the, the everybody knows the dice is loaded. Everybody knows the game is rigged. It's like that's yeah. not it's not true. Everybody knows Leonard Cohn. Um, the I don't know whether it gives them regular room. It gives them an excuse, almost not an excuse. That's that's harsh. I think Ulster struggled this year against Leinster. Most teams have struggled against Leinster, and without Leinster. Um, um, you know, I think Ulster could could have won an awful lot more, and it's it's gone against them for the last few years. But we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's it goes in cycles, and um, what I would say, and what I would be um, not envious of, but I'd be you know really interested and have been interested in watching, is that Leinster haven't taken anything for granted in that period of time, and they're consistently looking at. Uh, coaching being the biggest driver of of, uh, of of their performance. So they're consistently looking for different types of coaches, um, different thinking in coaches. Uh, so when somebody goes and leaves, they tend to bring somebody who who isn't trying to replicate the same, but is trying to maybe drive it in a very slightly different direction. And that's the bit that's been most impressive from Leinster is that they are they're playing a more, um, call it a more rounded game, but a, 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 a more innovative game. There's something different happens all the time. Even if you go back to the start of this season when the change in the laws for holding the ball up came on, they suddenly started having tap and go again. You know, there's always the things that have happened. I always say, it's, it's, again, it's cycles. These things happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but they're novel and they haven't been used for 20 years. So it looks like they keep looking to the past, how to do things differently. They keep bringing different coaches in who are looking to think differently. I think that's impressive. And you can complain and bemoan that all you like, or you can get on with doing the job. The problem is it takes a period of time for that job to to change and, and to, to bear proper fruit. And... Like I actually think Ulster were really, really close earlier on in the in the season, and I think they got a huge knockback. And um, but I still think that they have the makings of a very good team. Uh, the other teams are maybe further back. This narrative around around Leinster, Keith, is that this just a narrative that that crops up as you say in cycles in in sport every now and again? Like what Wigglesworth and McFarland and Murr and these lads are saying. You know, when you think of the Kerry team in the 80s or the Limerick Hurling team at the moment or even your great Munster team, is this just a narrative that crops up that teams look for, I guess, not excuses, but ways in which they can rationalise a team's success? 
Well, I think that's it's funny. It's interesting watching the golf at the weekend and watching Brooks Kepka and coming back and watching that Netflix period. And everybody talks about money, you know, and in golf, the, the amount of money is crazy. Um, but all he wants is to win. So it's the winning is the thing that drives everybody. And um, to the exclusion of all else for, for an awful lot. And it's... It's interesting if you just can't seem to get yourself in that position. But like I look at, I do look at Leinster at the moment, but I also look at some of the other teams that are left in the Heineken Cup competition. Um, they're extraordinary. So we've got to the point of where the best teams um, are, are in the are in the last are in, in, the, in the last four. You know, and um, to say that it's a preordained that Leinster will definitely win is wrong. You know they will have to play at their absolute best. Though as it turns out, it's they're they have the benefit of playing at home uh, for the next two matches if they get to both of them. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Toulouse obviously have long prided themselves on bringing the best local and uh, young players through and bedding them into the team. Obviously, they've supplemented that with world class stars from around. But uh, the the homegrown nature of, of Leinster's players is something that um, I think sometimes we take a little bit for granted because the school system has so much money slushing around to get those players from the school system where um, there's there's less and again Darcy's talking about this today less impetus on the um, set piece than there is when you get to the professional game we know in other sports how difficult it is for you know uh, what are supposedly world class talent at under 17 under 19 and under 21 to make it to the senior professional game all sorts of reasons players drop out uh, the, the coaching of the the senior team at Leinster, a lot of the credit has gone to Lancaster for that. But if you look at the other coaches over the years who've been part of that, every time somebody leaves, like Felipe Contepomi has left, and they've managed to replace it with somebody who they think is going to be um, even better or add something else to the setup. I do think sometimes we just take Leo Cullen for granted. That like, oh, he's got a really straightforward, easy job. But it's the opposite of that. And the whole thing about it, it's like, oh, it's basically Ireland in blue. Well, Ireland is basically Leinster in green. And that's the the way that if I was, you know, to step back from this, you've got to give Leo Cullen the credit for a lot of that, surely. Um, 100%. Um, I think he never gets uh, the credit for it. And uh, I think one of the lines I used last week in about Monster was who holds the keys um, to the team. And if you look at Leinster, you can say for, I don't know how many years it is now, but Leo Cullen has held the keys. And that's the long-term view that is consistently required. So you can have other coaches in doing a huge amount of the work, but you also need to have somebody at the helm. And he is at the helm and has been consistently. And he's also managed to do it Um by being very confident in arguing the case when any of those comments come up. and um, But he's also been really, really confident in his own position to be able to shine the light on the qualities of the coaches and players around him. And um, he he is at the helm, but it's not about him. And that's been... Um, I, I, look, I think he's managed to do that really, really lightly. And uh, and I think it's incredibly reassuring to players and fans alike. That gap, uh, Keith, between Leinster and, and the other provinces, like, do you feel like that's closing? It's not closing on the pitch, based on what, we, what we've seen this season, but anecdotally, even off the pitch, 
in terms of resources and infrastructure is it is it getting a bit, little bit narrower um i'm not sh- i'm not sure the resources bit is is a little bit different um uh it's it's exactly how you know how much money you've at your disposal is is an is a conversation piece of course it is um but for me it's how those resources are used and they're used over a period of time and that's the piece for me that uh, that marks out as being different from Leinster from the others. So you have a lot of young players coming through the system from a very competitive schools system. And I know that they've, uh, the Leinster, um, rugby have tried really hard to get far more through from, um, from the country, uh, counties and, uh, and, um, outside of the, the, the private school system and they're being successful in doing so. So they're able to invest along those lines as well. And that's, gives them a, a, a sort of an additional fill-up and will do down the line. Uh, but for me, it's it's how they seem to get those players playing on the right level and maximising them, you know, consistently over a period of time. And like the one thing that sticks out for me for the, the, the teams that they're sending down to South Africa this weekend is... They've Sam Prendergast there having, you know, come back from the, from the twenties, having shown, um, an ability, which is in twenties, an entirely different type of rugby. And it's very fast, very quick, far more, I won't say risk oriented, but, um, there's mistakes going to be made. A lot more mistakes are going to be made in that than are going to be made uh, further up the line. Um, but it shows the, the possibility of some of the players. There was a guy who didn't look under any pressure in any way, shape, or form. And so at the first available opportunity, I know Leinster have the benefit of not uh, having to win any more games in the URC, and they can send out all the uh, the other players to it. But it's an opportunity for a guy to to suddenly see what's happening for him and to see how he fits into the the, the style of playing against huge teams. It's... They take the opportunity really well, and they take it very early. And I think they take it earlier than the than well, the monster definitely not quite so much as Ulster. I think Ulster put their players in quite quite early as well. Um, is that a cultural thing, and, and does that culture need to shift? I, I suppose to to peel it back one layer, it does feel as if Munster have begun over the last couple of years to get the right people in the right places. They've got. Um, you know, they, they seem to have got the academy situation sorted in a way that makes sense and that does have some long-term thinking about it um, just in, in in going and getting somebody who is familiar with their system back in to be in charge of the academy um, and who it's is... Funny. You can, you're, you're looking at, at different teams doing things in a different way. So you, if you look at Connacht and you look at how they deal with their under-17s or under-18s, um, once they bring their group of, of players together. They tend to hold them together and they train together as much as they possibly can because um, there isn't a huge number of clubs up in, in Connacht. And it's, it just means if you can tidy them all in together, you can maximise the skill component. When you look at Leinster, the reason Leinster are able to pick players that are coming out of schools pretty quickly is because they tend to have been in a, a far more professional environment at schools level. So they're probably ready earlier Um so the requirement then is on the provinces to try and do something different that's unique for that province, for their own province. 
it isn't about emulating what happens elsewhere, but try and see what they can do to maximize the skill, the talent, the training of the players that they have. They are the the structures that are beginning to change. Um, you know, there are there are a lot of young coaches now in in Munster, not in in, in the in the first year. Yes, they are with Prendergast coming back and 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 Leamy. But on the layer below that, on the level below that, there's a lot of young coaches, past players, a mixture of, of, of coaches and players that are, uh, have the energy to be able to go and sort of uh, engender that, uh, maybe that change within, within those young guys that are coming through. So I, I do think it's happening. It just, it's hard when it's happening in the full light of, your neighbor who seems to have everything um, just right for them, but it takes a period. It just takes a period of time. So for for me, I've I like I looked at this season again from a monster perspective. I looked at this season and said, well, whatever monster get to do, it's the start of a proper change. And what they need is a sense of consistency for four, five, or six years. Um, now I'm not talking about consistency, not you know, not winning well, but consistency where there are long-term strategic plans that are being brought in to improve the rugby over that period of time and improve the team. That's incredibly hard in the white hot of competition where if like if they lose the next two matches, they may not be in the URC or they may not be in the ERC next year. And that's, that's very tough. And um, it's, they're under pressure all the time. So, uh, you can understand that level of pressure and stress that's on them, but the long-term view is still, it's still something that has to be revolved or resolved and can't be um, um, shooting from the hip, just changing at, uh, at will. You know, you have to have something that is consistent for that period of time. And I think more changes still need to be made. Well, obviously, Keith, usually looking forward to those two semi-finals like Leinster, Toulouse and, and La Rochelle Exeter, both should be cracking games. Having said that, the tournament as a whole, the Champions Cup, I mean, someone made the point in the show yesterday about the, the All-Ireland football series, you know, if there were four one-sided quarterfinals, like we had it essentially in the Champions Cup, people would be questioning the tournament as a whole. So is, is that a concern that we have to wait until the, the last four to, to really get the matchups we want? Yeah, I think there have been great matchups during it, but I think they've been few and far between. And I just think the structure that was that was in, in place this year was you didn't have to play particularly well to qualify. Everybody seemed to qualify, and then suddenly the realization is that all the home teams win in the round of sixteen yeah. and the round of eight. So actually, if that realization doesn't hit home for next year, that you do have to make certain that you do as well in the pool games as you possibly can. Um, for me, I still look at this season and think it is far too congested, and there are too many, too many matches, too much traveling. Um, um, trying to trying to understand the finances almost of how to make this this sport work, it does not happen by filling every weekend of the year from mid August to to June or July. It just it just doesn't. You know, there's it's pretty relentless, and we say that all the time, and. But the way of of getting more money is to play another match or have another competition or have two or three other rounds into it. And for me, that becomes unsustainable because the size of the squads have become too big to yeah. cater for that. So that's not viable. So I still think the game is in a in a you know 
tightrope um, situation where um, where it's incredibly difficult for um, for teams to be able to have that that amount of players playing. Um, and I think it's it's becoming very very tough. But so you want the best at the end of the season. You want players absolutely vying to play at the best they possibly can. And um, like you are looking at a team like like Leinster saying that they're putting out a, a second or third team and keeping their team at home for two weeks. If they're going down to South Africa for two weeks before semi-finals and uh, maybe quarter-finals, or yeah, it's kind of crazy really you know so yeah. you know i don't know i i'm 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 kind of a little bit bemused by um by the way the game has gone actually since covid all right well look we might get into that in a bit more detail uh, as the the season wraps up but for now we've got to leave it there keith good stuff thanks a million cheers gents Keith Wood giving us his uh, general thoughts on the situation at the moment. The four games this weekend, Ulster Dragons Friday night, 7.35. Lions versus Leinster on Saturday, 3 o'clock. Stormers Munster is such a big game on Saturday, 5.15. And Connacht Cardiff on Saturday at 7.35. We'll preview that game in more detail on Friday with Quinny here on OTBAM. In the meantime, though, uh, it is 12 minutes past nine. We're live each morning with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night edition is available now. Here's some highlights on the OTV Podcast Network for you. Football show, uh, Pat Nevin on that one for you at the moment. Uh, Roy McElroy features on a slight tangent this week. And we also have Colin Boyle talking about the capitulation of Mayo to Roscommon in the Connacht Championship and whether or not ultimately it's going to end up being uh, that big a deal. We shall find out what it means for their situation in the power rankings in just a moment because uh, that's what's next with Tommy Rooney. But in the ad break, you're going to hear a bit from the football pod because they're on the road again heading to Killarney for the first big road show of the summer with thanks to AIB uh, Tommy, Paddy and James we bring in the football pod to the Great Southern Hotel for a live episode with special guests on Thursday the 4th of May it's an exclusive off-air event tickets are limited so don't delay go to offtheball.com forward slash events it's all in partnership with AIB check out the hashtag the toughest for more and during the ad break Roscommon are the new Atletico Madrid so many critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly. And like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And when I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus almost still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismiss you like, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. So, does Tommy know his football? How did you get on last week, Tommy, with your power rankings? Did anything happen at the weekend to maybe cause you to doubt the very fibre of your being? Well... They cause discussion, lads. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, <laughs> couple of couple of roars from uh, Roscommon fans over the weekend. A couple of Mayo people asking me to, you know, just relax a little bit. Like, what's the story? And then I think there was a Galway man who just wasn't happy. Just was not happy. He's like Bailey at the minute. He's giving mm. out there for some reason. Um, so yeah. What was what was the what were the Mayo people wanted you to relax? As in, you know, take us off the pedestal, stop hyping us up. And I'm not sure if they wanted to relax. I think they just thought maybe it was a little bit quick to put us into number two. But so, look at Everyone has different agendas when it comes to the power rankings. I think I am the only neutral person in this country. Okay. Are we going to horse through the, the yes. back to front? Yes. Last week we started we with entry. the first one, but we, we, we might go back to the start with the first one next week. But this week, cause, because of what happened, we have a new entry, and so we're going to start with that. We are going to start with that, yeah. Um, and I'm going to have to let the dog out, lads, because... Uh, I'll, I'll read through this page for you. <laughs> do. You go through the back page. Okay. New York have entered on 26. Right. So 33 is London, 
32 is Waterford, 31 is Carlo, 30 is Wexford, 29 is Tipperary, 20, sorry, 29 is Tipperary, 28 is Longford. Uh, yeah, that's what we have. Uh, Leitrim are down two to 27. New York, new entry, brand new entry. This feels like top of the pops in the 1990s. Mm, yeah. Brand new entry, straight into number 26. It's New they York. Are. And with I'll their, tell you what. With if, their Bronx rocking beats. If they had another game at home, lads, you'd be backing them to win. Like, they have got a quality outfit together over there in New York. They have kept the same team together. Really good game on Saturday night. Um, like, the, that final score to equalise the game in the... 76. The seventh minute of injury time. Like, that was the score to Dubs. The six in a row Dubs that they've been proud of. They went down one wing. They kept the ball. 16 passes over 50 seconds. They switched the play. Owen Karen slips it into Shane Carty, who backtracked into 10 yards of space and he curled it over to Byron as left. Quality stuff. We keep going. Uh, Leisure up one. Uh, after yes. a big win for them, after a tricky end of the league campaign, so they're on 25. And uh, Jojo's just wondering, where's the New York and Ireland as we um, get f- first the first first page gone? <laughs> second page, uh, uh, no changes here, right? No changes in the second page, no. Uh, Wicklow, good win at the weekend, but no change. 24, Sligo 23, Antrim 22. Would you not have Wicklow ahead of Antrim at this stage? Uh, we'll see what happens next weekend when we are, when we can, Wicklow take on Clare in two weeks. We'll okay. see what happens there. Uh, Limerick 21, Offaly 20, down 19, Fermanagh 18, Westmead 17. I think you just didn't make any changes to these because you, be, you couldn't be dealing with the hassle from the so-called no. weaker counties. That's not true. We have plenty of games to come over this month. There was just there was nothing more changing so far. All right, uh, Mead sixteen, Cavan fifteen, Kildare fourteen, Cork at thirteen, still ahead of Kildare, Cavan, and Mead, even though mm-hmm. they're out of the out of the championship now. Uh, I suppose because they're ahead of the. Well, they're not out of the championship, Jared. Sorry, they're they're out of the Munster championship, and I, I suppose they are actually ahead of um, uh, Kildare in the league table. So uh, anyway, Cork down two at thirteen, Louth unchanged at twelve, Clare up two. To 11, even though they're not yet in Sam Maguire. Tommy knows what side his bread's buttered here. Clare Donegal, up two. Donegal 10 and Monaghan 9. It was just a big win. I think it just corrected what we would have seen uh, in the league campaign. A couple of results just didn't go Clare's way. Cork, I think Cork deserved to be 13th. Like, uh, Mayo's game management the weekend was incredibly poor. Cork did some stuff that was really good and really poor as well throughout that game. Clare were fully deserved winners. Um, I think we need a correction here where, like, Westmead are in Sam Maguire and so they are at least 16. I, I think it'll all correct itself, lads, over the next three weeks. There's still another 20-odd championship games to go this month. We have a lot of football to be played until four counties are knocked out altogether. So we can just relax a little bit here. Okay. I do he's did a shadow box and it's like the bloody league Clare Davey 11th. Burke said after the game lads Davy Burke said after the game that when he sat down with the Common boys Donny Smith said to him Easter Sunday we'll be ready <laughs> and I stood there thinking what's been the point of the first six bloody power rankings if all they're thinking about is Easter Sunday well I suppose we we had to see the evolution of a team that was capable of doing what they did and, and, and backing it up clearly Roscommon mm. were ready for the first three league games as well so it wasn't just Easter Sunday sure. they were prepping for who would you so Westmead or 17th who would you have below uh, that, that are ahead of them who would you take out like you can't have Cavan Cavan are Cavan are there in merit I think Mead above them in 16th well, uh, Cavan it's, I, I don't think I think it's 50-50 about Cavan less than 50-50 but a super league campaign though. there's, yeah, there's three albeit they're not guaranteed a place in, in San Maguire yet 
Like, are, are you just taking turns recycling through complaints that have been directed my way over the last four or five weeks? But it's usually Calvin lads complaining. Yeah, I'm sure it's correct. Like, <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, okay. So you had Monaghan at nine. Now we get into the, the first page. Armagh down a point, even though I thought they had like a you know an effortless victory with some of their best players not playing. That, that's, they had a. Thought that's what I they heard. had a good win. Armagh they had a good win against Antrim, who are twenty second in the power rankings. All right. So they did nothing wrong, but it was the fact that Mayo lost to Roscommon. The Roscommon bet the second team in the power rankings from eighth position. Well, they deserved it, and. That wasn't to belittle where Roscommon are at. They were third in the league. But now they've jumped up into seventh place. So Armagh are eight, Roscommon are seven, Trone unchanged at six, Derry still at five, clinging mm-hmm. on in there. Dublin are four, Mayo mm-hmm. are on three, Galway are on two, up one. Mayo are down one to three. Still the third best team in the country, according to Tommy Rooney. And Kerry... They just won the league, lads. Kerry, are you, what, and what does it matter? No, but hold on. Mayo have won the league. They have? They've got to kick up the arse. Okay. The hype train has been deflated a little bit. Yeah. They now have five weeks, five, six weeks. They might take a little bit of a break this week. Five weeks to, to get themselves ready for whoever they face in the all Ireland round round. Are they series. getting Lushin Mullen back in their five weeks, Tommy? Are they getting... Is that what's going to happen here no, now? <laughs> no, but I will make one point and I should have put it to Max Day after the game. Mayo didn't play Sam Callanan, who had started the league final for them. Mm. And I think Sam Callan would have suited to start Sam Callan in that game. He had under-20s championship this week. They didn't play Bob Toohey. And Roscommon completely bet them in midfield. I also think it would have suited that game to play Bob Toohey rather than a Tommy Conroy. It would have suited his style of game. Bring in Conroy the way he should have been coming in, which is with 15 minutes to go alongside Kieran O'Connor, because he's not ready yet. So this is going to give them time to get ready. But let's just not talk too much about Mayo this week. Let's just not talk too much about I, that. I, I'm actually see the see the little red minus one. Now you see it usually beside teams that have that have had a defeat. So it's beside our mat. Does that make a laughing yeah. stock of the power rankings? Generally speaking, when you have a no, team that wins a match and then goes down a place, it makes a laughing stock of the provincial championship, Shane. That's what I'd say. Because what do they matter at the minute? Do you know? Like, what do they really matter? Where's the jeopardy gone? The jeopardy was on Saturday night. Because history was on the line between New York and Leitrim. New York were chasing history. That's why that game mattered so much and there was so much um, made about it. Like, what mattered then in Clare and Cork? Well, Clare need to win two games to stay in the Sam Maguire. They've beaten Cork. They now need to beat Limerick to stay in there. One of Leitrim, Limerick and Clare are going to be in the Sam Maguire. So the jeopardy is actually put on Mead, who are now in serious bother. Mead have to reach the Leinster final to play in the Sam Maguire. In May owners common, what was the jeopardy? Pride. Like, there was more jeopardy in the stands, I'd say, than there was in the pitch. Between the rival supporters. So, me, sorry, that is now confirmed after the results of the weekend. Um, me yeah. do now need to reach the Leinster final to reach Sam Maguire. 100% confirmed. So, they have to beat Louth, basically? No, they have to beat Offaly. And then... Uh, Longford. So, Offaly are coming in fairly well. Cox got over the line against Longford. Longford took the lead with 10 minutes to go in that game. You talk about Jeopardy, lads, and the Leinster final. Paddy Christie obviously went all out to win that game at Longford at the weekend. They're off in a four-day training camp to Portugal this week, regardless of how that result went. So teams aren't really looking at the provincial championship as the end-all and be-all anymore. Mm. They are now looking at the All-Ireland round-robin series and whenever they get there. And McStay said it after the game, and there's a little bit of him possibly managing the narrative when he said, look, we come into this game as third seeds, the same as Roscommon, the same as Galway. We're all still third seeds. So... One of those teams going where it's common are going to be third season in the All-Ireland Round Robin series. One of them is going to be a first or second seed. 
because only one of them can get to the Connacht final yeah and even then I still think that ultimately they're going to be two of those teams who might be third seeds both will end up at worst in the preliminary quarterfinal yeah. wildcard weekend it's going to it's going to take off a lot uh, of unknown unknowns yeah moment. well I and look maybe maybe Derry's performance in the league final was vanilla and it was vanilla because they'd known McCaig and as soon as there was uh, a Connor Glass tweak of the hamstring they were like okay off you come and we don't see the real Derry until well, later in the season for Manna this weekend which is not not the easiest of games either Tommy like I mean absolutely not Derry should win that match but, but for Manor on a bit of a high as well yeah an interesting Kirk as well the the pitch in Fermanagh, they, they played all their league, their away games in the league. Um, they didn't play in Brewster Park. You know, the Brewster Park pitch has been redeveloped. So um, I think there's a bit of surprise that the game is set for Brewster Park this week. So maybe keep an eye on the playing surface between Derry and Fermanagh on Saturday. If it does get played there, it'll be the first game there. Derry, Derry should be fine, but Fermanagh had a brilliant league campaign. Cavan tied down Ulton Kelm. I think that's key. Cavan tied down Ulton Kellum in the league final uh, quite well at Pork Faulkner. And you'd imagine Derry have enough man markers to quench the threats that Fermanagh have. But you never know. Tyrone found it difficult against Fermanagh last year. It took a brilliant goal from Conor Myler to kind of spark that game. So that's going to be a good game. Monaghan Tyrone as well. Shane, like, how are you feeling going into this game? On the football pod, the lads couldn't get away from it. <laughs> they lent so heavily mm. on Conor McManus and McCarran and whether or not those two boys could get the job done. We're still talking about McManus at 35 years of age being that bit of um, gold dust that Monaghan need. He obviously did it in the league, the last league game against Mayo. What's the word on Vinnie Corey's yeah, boys? Look, I, I think definitely the reliance on McManus in that last game was, was there for all to see, but you have players like Stevie O'Hanlon, uh, who wasn't involved last year, took a year away, and mm. back in this year, Michal Bannigan has been given the vice-captaincy, I think, this year as well, and, and stepped up really as a leader. Conor McCarthy back to his best a little bit as well so I think they are they are pitching in with more and more scores obviously McManus is going to spearhead that but that that's that's going to be a fascinating game and Monaghan tend to have a better record near the Anoma against 4 o'clock on Sunday that game that's going to be a cracker um, look it's going to be a good game but ultimately as as Tommy keeps pointing out does it, does does it, it really matter yeah. I think I think Tyrone are too low I, I said it last week I think too low okay. yeah I think Tyrone should be ahead of Derry I think um, well, this, really, week, this uh, weekend after what, you like, after what you watched throughout the spring yeah, because uh, Tyrone had a turnaround and got mm. back to some sense of form and organisation and a re-emergence of an identity. And, they're, guess- playing, and they're playing Division 1 teams. I saw Derry wipe the floor with Meath and I thought, wow, this team is super impressive. And then I realised that Meath are paper thin. And so it's very difficult for me to read too much into that. And the first time I saw Derry... Sorry, they played obviously they played Dublin twice and they played really well mm. against them one day and they played really badly against them the second time. So well, maybe nah, they played really well in the first half. They were right in that game until the square ball you know, goal. If, like you know, a bit flaky for them to collapse. To mm, collapse. They were missing glass and McKay. They're obviously ten on the ground in Derry, but and we do think they have limitations. Like we we've said that on the power rankings, we do think they have limitations to get beyond the last four. Toronto's ceiling it, is higher than Derry's. Uh, I'm not sure so? if that's the case. I'm really, I really am not sure that's the case. And I'm going to get accused of some weird anti-Tyrone bias. I love Tyrone football. In- I'm their biggest fan. And like Paddy Andrews described Roscommon as the Atletico Madrid of, of Gaelic football of the weekend. Tyrone mightn't be happy with that themselves. Like, I genuinely think Tyrone don't have the depth they have when they won that All-Ireland in 2021. They don't have that X factor off the bench. I don't think they're there yet. I think they can get there. 
because of the strength of throwing football. Okay. But I just don't see it at the miniature. Let me let me put it to you like this. It's all around semi final day and it's Tyrone Kerry or it's Derry Kerry. Who do you give the most chance of upsetting Kerry? <sighs> I don't know. Like I like I'm I, I really don't I like fifth or sixth, that's what happened in the power rankings. Derry flying high in the summer, you just never know. know. They get uh, into their str- know? So that five, six, like, seven could change around. You've got Roscommon seven, Tyrone six, Derry five. Like Derry and Tyrone both play this weekend. So depending on those results, Tommy, that could that could swing and Roscommon could move up even. I don't I don't see it swinging too much yet. Like Jer's Jer's question there about the All Ireland semi finals. It's just so hard to know where these teams are at and where they're going to be in six weeks' time. Like, it really is. We will obviously have a lot more information on how teams are going. And if it turns out the Canavans are both, like, scoring two, three a game each, by that stage, you'd be like, oh, they've got plenty of X-Factor. They don't actually need anybody off the bench. Sure. And I'll hold my hands up. And I will say, Jer, as well, you know, on social media or whatever, it, it can it can tell a lie. I felt last week that a lot of the reaction to your Dublin prediction on social media was... Ah, oh, what's, what's Jerry on about here? What have the dub shown us? When I was out and about during the week last week, a lot of people agree with you. A lot of people think minority. that Jerry Gilroy is right and it was a very smart call and that the dubs should be in second place in the power rankings. I don't see it yet. But, you know, they're not far off. A question for you both. Um, Kildare play Wicklow. Netwatch Cullen Park that's the weekend after this and Meath as you say Tommy play play awfully and then those semi-finals so it's going to be the winner of Kildare Wicklow against the winner of Dublin Leash and then Meath are awfully against Westmeath or Louth comment in from uh, Shane not myself on YouTube will Tommy and Jerry get behind their team's Talton Cup games Kildare are going to be safe I think you should be safe but but hypothetically speaking it's probably more pertinent for you Tommy I think Kildare and Bodder if Meath get to the Lancer final which is a big if like there's a lot of ifs at the minute a lot of ifs at the minute. Like, are you are you paying a lot, lot of ifs, a lot of buts? Yeah, a bit of both. Are, are you going to your? Are you going to the Tottenham Cup games with, with your? Not what have you? My my weekends are dictated. Now I, I got a comment during the week that I was the most plastic mead man uh, on the internet. It was by Irish Catholic on TikTok. Very good. And I looked at the comment and I I asked myself, is that because of my accent? Is that because I'm playing my club football down in Clare? Is it because my gardens in Cavan? Is it because I went to school in Monaghan? Is it, like is it because I was born in the states? Like why would I be the most plastic mead man? And it turned out it was because I don't go to meet games at the weekend. Well, Irish Catholic, off the ball decide where I go at the weekend to meet to games. So, you know, Shane, if when I get behind Mead in the Talchin Cup, I will watch every game. I followed the 20s game last night. I will follow them closely. I think... I may not get to go to them unless Nathan Murphy gives me the nod. Well, I was going to say, I think that um, if Mead are in the Talchin Club Cup this year, we will absolutely do everything. I will move heaven and earth to make sure you're at that game to be able to report on it. Thanks, Jer. And if they are in the Touching Cup, they deserve to be in the Touching Cup. And yeah. that is just the way it is. Like, there's a very young Mead team there at the minute. I think for Mead, I don't know. I don't like. I, I don't think they want to be in the Touching Cup. They want to play in a round robin All Ireland series. But for some of the younger players, maybe that's okay. For Kildare and Clare, the profile of those teams, it wasn't going to be a good thing. So, Clare have one more game against Limerick now. They've got to get that right. They lost on penalties last year. Well, I was going to say... You know I was there. I'd say Limerick are absolutely delighted about the fact that Clare came through that game. I'd say Limerick have been quietly just focusing on this ever since they respectfully asked Ray Dempsey to go. Um, So, I I think there's a good chance of an After the Lord Mayor show performance where Clare gets sucked into a dogfight and don't come through that side. And again, that would be a bit of a disaster for the championship because I don't think Limerick are ready for Sam Maguire competition just yet. Um, you know, the opposite side of that is uh, if you're in the Talton Cup, you deserve to be in it. Sometimes some teams are actually going to be in Sam Maguire who don't deserve to be in it because they haven't actually built. And so we'll see. Uh, just one, one last thing on that because 
uh, Michael Dorgan, who does the Long Haul podcast with Johnny Kennedy, he had a load of great interviews after the game. They're well worth checking out on YouTube. And he had an interview with Shane Carty of New York, two-time Dublin All-Ireland winner. And Carty said he could see the complacency in the Leitrim players' eyes at the weekend. And I found that hard to believe because New York have pushed, brought Roscommon to a point, brought Leitrim to extra time, retained most of their squad last year that brought Sligo to four points. Everyone talked about the players that New York got over the line in the last two weeks. Bill Maher, uh, Owen Cairns, the last two weeks before the deadline, the transfer deadline. Andy Moran was part of a London team, a Mayo team that nearly lost to London in James Horan's first year. The management can get teams ready to a certain extent. The Clare managers and the players lost to Limerick last year on penalties. So that complacency really cannot exist, mm. looking on from the outside. But if Shane Carty could smell it, if he could see it, if he could see it in the eyes... Do you know, no, you can't take that for granted. No, you no. just can't. I do still think the dubs are, are way too low. I think Tyrone are too low, and I think um, I, I don't know after that. Yeah, like I still think there's a good chance Mayo are in the All Ireland semi final. I'm a bit less sure of that after the quality of the performance and their inability to adapt. But as you say, they have four and a half weeks now of uh, absolute hell for leather in training. You know, Killian O'Connor gets more fit, uh, Carr gets fit. And a few others who they had some doubts about get a bit of game time and a bit of this is exactly what we're trying Hashin. to do. So, um, and the under twenties, as you pointed out, are all going to be available for selection as well. So, uh, Tommy, I, I, yeah, one a lot of football, a lot of football to go. Um, just going to say, I've been there, Jared, in the perch that you're on, sitting there, throwing little jabs and punches, and it's very easy. Like I, I've serious respect for what Owen Sheen's gone through over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a, it's a big can to carry these power rankings. It's a weight. It's a weight in your shoulders, Tommy. You carry it well. Yeah, it really is. Do you have anything? Thanks. Do you want to comment on the fact that you were threatening him and his family and forced him to flee, <laughs> flee the jurisdiction so you could take the seat? And now, and now that you have it, you don't even want it. I don't think Owen need much of a push to go to South America, so <laughs> that wasn't. That is. I'm that sorry. Are we officially saying the power rankings are now a weekly thing? Uh, well, like, look, we've two championship games next week. There's going to be no change to the power rankings. I think it'd be a waste of time. There's ten the following week. Why not let it sit for a week and then you can come at me with all your jigs uh, and your jabs? Uh, well, if right, Monaghan beats Tyrone, they have to leapfrog on I'll still talk to you next week. Let, let the public decide. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. All right. okay. Tommy will be back next week with the power rankings. Might not be. When they like this or she and I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. On tomorrow's show, David Brady, Graham Hunter, Keith Tracy's you had to be there, and plenty more besides, including reaction to tonight's uh, Champions League. OTBAM with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Right now is a classic edition of our crappy quiz with the one and only Kenny Cunningham. Have a wonderful Wednesday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.